The Solid 7 Podcast is fueled by Jocko Go. Engineered for anyone who wants to get after it in life, pre-meeting, pre-testing, pre-negotiation, or pre-mission. If you're looking for an extra cognitive or physical edge, Jocko Go is your force multiplier. With 95 milligrams of caffeine and zero sugar, the keto-friendly Jocko Go will give you a physical and cognitive boost without the crash that you experience with average energy drinks. Visit JockoFuel.com today, and you can use our promo code SOLID7, that's S-O-L-I-D-7, to get 10% off your order. Get on the path and get after it. Oh, and because lawyers exist, these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and this product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. gentlemen boys and girls welcome back to a solid seven podcast a better than average podcast if i do say so myself and we all know that i do i am of course your host kale and this it's not a show about nothing it's a show about everything and uh back with us this week on the podcast is my very very good buddy dr scott bland welcome back sir Hello, my friend. How are you doing today? Uh, it's it's interesting. <laughs> we were just saying before I hit the record button, um, despite the complete and utter lack of alcohol consumption, this will be the Solid 7 Podcast's first drunken episode. <laughs> uh, I uh, Through a combination of uh, parenting and work obligations, I have slept for probably... Maybe six hours, somewhere around five or six hours over the last yeah. two nights. And I will tell you, official medical opinion, official, write it down. Parenting is one of the worst sleep decisions anyone can make. <laughs> yeah, that's a, it's a fact. Nine, nine out of ten doctors agree. No one knows where that 10th <laughs> doctor. It's more than nine. <laughs> yeah, no one knows where that 10th doctor went to school in any of those things. Like, what's that 10th dentist? What's he? What's he up to? What's that guy's problem? Or gal. I, I assume I assume um, drugs of some sort. So for you whippersnappers, we're we're referencing the old uh, television radio ads that would spout things like nine out of ten dentists recommend. I'm like why only nine out of ten? I'm I'm such like I'm that. Um, and it was always nine. It was never like yeah. hey seven dentists really like this thing. Well, it was it, always nine. And and the funny thing is, and this is maybe even more comical in a in a post pandemic world. Uh, but the cynic in me is like, well, I kind of want to talk to the 10th guy. Like, what does he know? Yeah. Let's hear what's going on with that guy. That's yeah. interesting to me. Why isn't he on Rogan? Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> he probably, he probably is. He probably claims to have invented MRNA vaccines. Anyways. Um, <laughs> uh, so this one, <laughs> boys and girls, it, it might, it might get a little loopy. I, um, well, first and, and foremost, maybe more important than on any episode ever. Um, we are fueled uh, by Jacko Go. So I'm, I'm cracking one right now. The old whoop of salt watermelon to see if it can salvage some semblance of intelligence and coherency <laughs> as, we, as we sit here and talk to you. The what a great name whoop salt watermelon is. Yeah, that one is. So a lot of the, the flavors um, are signature flavors. They're named for somebody. 
Uh, right. And so uh, Whoopasol is named for uh, Marine Travis Mills, who's a quadruple amputee. And if you've never seen or heard Travis, I highly recommend finding him on the socials. I highly recommend looking up videos. Um, I don't know if there's anybody on the planet with or without their limbs intact that is funnier or just has uh, a more positive energy or outlook on life. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, Staff Sergeant Mills and of his signature flavor of watermelon. So I uh, famously, at least here in the Solid 7 verse, uh, gave uh, Brian Littlefield, the chief product officer and co-founder over at Jocko Fuel, a bit of a hard time about the watermelon flavor um, before the new formulations. And uh, they, they totally, totally redeemed it. So I'm assuming your royalty check is in the mail. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, once, once my uh, Jocko Fuel uh, affiliate money really starts rolling in, there will be no more, no more all-nighters. Last night, was a, it was a legit all-nighter for me, which is rare. Um, the, well, you know, like non-child-related, which my kids are getting a little older. So the like truly like lots of interrupted sleep nights are, you know, fewer and farther between now. Um, You're getting soft. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, despite my uh, valiant efforts uh, here, the podcast, if you can believe this listeners, is not my sole source of income yet. Um, I'm as baffled as you are. Um, I would have thought you'd be recording sitting on like a pile of gold bars, uh, drowning in caviar. Yeah. I, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what's, what's going on there. I don't know where the Rogan money is hiding. Um, but, uh, you know, just that one waiting on that one big break. So anyways, I do some other things to make ends meet. And, uh, those things yesterday required an all nighter of me. And, uh, let me tell you. When when your age starts with a four, the all nighters they hit different. <laughs> I was talking with one of the pastors at my church the other day about the um, you know the, the history of youth all nighters and how when I was a teenager I thought that was a cool idea and how now if they had one and they needed extra help. I would rather pay two younger people to do it for me than to go myself. I, I literally would not commit to a 12 hour overnight anymore. I just, I'm not interested. I would rather pay someone else to do it for me if it was somehow a church obligation. Yeah. Well, yeah, you of course know this and regular listeners will know this, but in a, in a past life, um, I worked on the, the, for the staff of a, a large youth ministry for a, for a long time, over a decade. And, uh, we did massive, massive all-nighters for New Year's Eve. And oh, yeah, renting out, like, small amusement parks yeah. and move, renting out whole movie theaters. Yeah. It was not a small endeavor. Yeah, yeah we went ham. So, I, I mean, I got to say, in the world of, like, a church all-nighter, ours was a banger, right? Like, oh, yeah. It, yeah. You get 500 kids to go somewhere. It was a big deal. Yeah, I'm, I'm not knocking a, a small youth ministry, but all I'm saying is this was not, like, a 40 by 50 room, you know, with a three legged foosball table and some cold pizza at 6 a.m. That's not what, what we were about. That said, um, the staff was more or less a house divided on the merits of the New Year's <laughs> Eve all nighter. And I, I came down squarely on the we don't have to do this to ourselves 
camp no. on that. Like, yeah. like we're in charge. Like nobody's, no one but us is making us do this. Yep. Did you find that the, um, the age split between the two groups was rather distinct? No, I, I think um, it had more to do with your outlook on life. <laughs> the, Fair enough. Yeah. The, the less cynical, more hopeful, more people oriented, uh, which is a funny thing to say about working uh, in, in ministry, but uh, tended to to like the event and the uh, more curmudgeonly among us. That wasn't like, you know, a hard line. There, there were some defectors on both sides of that, but... Uh, yeah, it was it was not uh, it was not a good not a good time. Yeah, I want to say I was twenty four ish the last time I helped out with one of those, and I just told myself I'll literally never do that again. <laughs> I, I I love Pastor Johnny with all my heart, but but there's nothing he could say that would get me back there again. <laughs> had uh, had a big event, had a couple big events that kind of fell under my purview going down today, and uh, they were not the first big events of the week. And they're not the end of the the big events for this season. And uh, so I ran on a on a fair amount of Jocko Go uh, today. It's not just a commercial. I'm not just trying to get you to go to JockoFuel.com and use the Solid Seven promo code uh, to you know fuel yourself and the podcast. That's not just what it's about. Uh, I'm also I'm not just a hair the hair club president. I'm also a client and. Um, I don't know why I'm all about the throwback ads tonight. Evidently, that's the theme of episode 111. Uh, Part of being 40, everything (laughs) old seems cool. Uh, And so, uh, man, it was just, it it is funny, like, uh, you know, joking about this being the first intoxicated, uh, you know, podcast, obviously tongue in cheek. But there are studies like comparing, you know, like driving very tired. Uh, right. Give me a medical word for very tired. Yeah. Uh, exa- driving exhausted in the comparisons to driving drunk or driving d- uh, distracted. It's not great. Yeah. It's not, not good. No, 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 it's not good. There were, um, there were times in high school where I was, cause I, I got a little smart enough not to do this, um, past that in high school where I swerved off the road from being too tired while driving around, you know, assuming I was young and invincible and could do whatever I wanted. And then in, in residency where I'm in my thirties, um, if I got tired enough, I would stop and just literally get out of the car, do jumping jacks and pull and push ups and stuff for, for, for two or three minutes, try and get my heart rate going. And then I just realized that's insane. And I would just stay at the hospital. So if I lived an hour from the hospital, it was too tired to drive home. I would just text my wife, babe, I love you. I won't be home tonight. I'm going to have to sleep here. I'll find a room here to sleep. And I would just stay because yeah. it's it's dangerous to drive that tired. And um, my main goal in life is to just never be that tired. <laughs> I, t- I tell you <laughs> what, uh, not many things in life get the adrenaline pumping like being suddenly awoken to the sound of the rumble strip on the side of the interstate. <laughs> Oh, I can't believe how insanely dangerous I was when I was younger and did that. Because nowadays, I don't have any shame. If not, if I get that tired, I'll just pull over and sleep on the side of the road. I don't care. Um, but I, I will not drive that tired ever again. I'm not doing that to myself. Dude, the, the absolute exponential growth, the absolute hockey stick of a graph that is... Um, like how crazy I deem giving driver's licenses to 16 year olds, the older I get, 
like by year it's exponential. I'm like, I should not have been behind the wheel of a motorized vehicle. None of us should no, have. No, I was incredibly dangerous to other people and myself. I had no, I, no idea how dangerous it was. We, uh, listeners at, you know, Scott's probably, uh, my longest running friend who, uh, isn't, uh, doesn't share any blood with me. So we've, we've been hanging out for a long time. And, uh, so you can get all the backstory and stuff on, on previous episodes, but so we grew up together in central Florida. So, you know, the, the way being central works is we're not far from a coast, no matter what we, you know, we live on a peninsula and, uh, you can get to saltwater pretty quick and easy. And so where we were growing up, there was this, uh, I'm going to see if you remember the name I do. Um, but, uh, there was this one road that was just this long, straight two lane road all the way from the little city we live in to, to to Cocoa beach, uh, here in Florida. There were no streetlights. There were no subdivisions. That's probably changed mm-hmm. now. I haven't driven that road in a long time. Um, yeah, they've ruined it now, but yeah. But like everybody I knew, just like you just, however fast the vehicle you owned would go, that's how fast you drove on Nova Road to go to the beach. Absolutely, yep. Like I, I know that the little four-banger manual transmission S10 that I had when we wrapped up high school I know it topped out at 104 miles an hour. The reason I know that I'm assuming there's some statute of limitations involved here because of Nova road, because of Nova road. That was yep. dumb. No, it really was. And I want to say I'm, I'm somewhat making up a number here, but at least every high school generation. So every four years, you know, our high school lost someone out there. It seems um, because of just the insanity of, speed and fatigue and teenage distracted driving and um and just bad luck and things like that it it was a dangerous dangerous situation oh yeah well i mean never mind you know you you clip a deer at the at those kind of speeds and it slides up over the hood and had to bounce off the bumper you're about to have Mm -hmm. a real bad day yeah yep yeah it's coming through that windshield and deer don't do good things like stay off roads they I don't know what it is about them. They're so stupid. I love, I mean, it's been well addressed on here that, uh, you know, I'd like to be more of a hunter than I am, which is to say that I would like to be a hunter at all. But I do, (laughs) I still appreciate all of the many memes and GIFs um, around the joke of like how deer react on an interstate to like a truck or a vehicle compared yeah. to how they react in the woods to the sound of a single twig breaking. It's, it's completely not understandable. Yeah. They just stop and look at you. <laughs> it's yeah. crazy. Well, and they just, you know, of course, uh, it, the whole thing's tongue in cheek and obviously they have, you know, a built in print, you know, prey response to predators and don't know what to make in their environment still, uh, of our, our big old vehicles. But, uh, yeah, uh, the older I get, like every year, I'm like, no, we should raise the minimum driving age like five years. Yeah. Every year that I get older. I, I will say, speaking of vehicles, and I know this is maybe off track for where we were, but I did go looking around at pickup trucks today. And I know that I'm old and my memory is fuzzy from having been around pickup trucks from when I used to do other things, but they seem bigger now than they used to. Is that just me? Do trucks seem bigger now than they used to? Yeah, like the the actual like measured height of the hoods and stuff like that. There's 
there's actually some kind of funny, um, I mean, depending on, you know, your, your political bent and beliefs, uh, you know, there's some articles out there decrying what an unsafe, unnecessary menace they are. And you can, you can assume, uh, probably correctly, Maybe uh, unsafe to people not in them, but well, if you're well, in them. Like, because the, the measured height of the front end, like the Chevy Silverados for some reason stand out more than the others at this point, particularly like the 2,500 heavy duties um, and up. Oddly enough, that is what I was looking at today. Yeah. I was looking at some, some 2,500, yeah. like the HD, you know, high countries, and they are massive. Yeah, in case you guys are, are wondering uh, what kind of money family practice and obesity doc- medicine doctors make, it's a Chevy Silverado 2500 HD money is what it is because <laughs> um, they're they're not giving them away, boys and girls. That's not uh, that's not an economy vehicle. Um, yeah, it's 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 not it's not G G wagon AMG. But, but no, the the roof line's <laughs> okay. Cr- that that front roof line is crazy. It's like I don't know. It's it's it might be fifty inches or higher. I I don't know. I mean, it's insane. Um, it felt like shoulder height to me at a couple places. Like, it was so, pretty tall. Like they talk about how how unsafe that is because of how how far that extends your line of sight out beyond the hood line. So there can be a lot hiding behind that in front of you that you can't see. So something crossing in front of you or or whatever. Um, to which, I, you know, my like logical and reasoned reaction to that is the counterpoint of, wah. <laughs> like. Well, part of the issue is if I'm driving down the road, frankly, there shouldn't be anything surprising me within five feet. Like I should have seen it all coming if I'm paying attention and doing my job. Um, and and the other thing is, I mean, I know it's it's a bit of a niche issue, but you know, we we did buy an SUV recently, and the the camera work around that crazy thing. I mean, it's a large vehicle, but it looks like there's a satellite view yeah. of that crazy thing on our on our views whenever we go to in reverse and stuff like that yeah um it's really crazy how good the camera work is around that thing yeah it's like you've got a drone hovering over you yeah yeah and i mean i get seat rumbles if i if because there's cameras that sense the center lines of the roads the hashtags on the road i get seat rumbles if i drift too close to it i get a yellow yellow blinking light in the side of the rear view if a car is you know anywhere near my blind spot like there are a lot of obviously expensive but really elaborate safety measures in some of these newer vehicles yeah yeah the the truck market it's not just the trucks themselves that have gotten bigger um but the price tags on trucks are just insane these days i mean the the last truck that i bought um man i can't remember what year that truck was it was a it was a four door F two fifty with a short cab. Um, it had a V eight, but it was the the smaller one, um, and it had uh, I can't I want to say maybe just over a hundred thousand miles on it when I bought it. I bought it from CarMax. It was a fleet vehicle though. Um, yeah, you know, so something that was owned by you know a city or a you know a big you know whatever uh, the standard white like, truck sir, kind of thing. That's that's the one. And so yep. it's like, uh, you know, 100,000 miles on a vehicle like that, really not that big a deal because um, they're typically, you know, serviced regular on their regular schedule and all that stuff. And I bought that truck. Uh, it wasn't 10 years old when I bought it. Um, I bought it for 20 grand, which I felt like was pretty fair and reasonable. You're mm-hmm. not buying jack squat with a bed on it for 20 grand now. 
Nothing. No, 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 you're not. So I can tell you because I actually looked at a regular size, um, not the full crew cab, but like there's seats back there, but there's not much leg room. Yeah. Like that, I think they call it a double cab now um, with a long bed, like the white truck born, you know, like rubber floors. Yeah. And, and I want to say it was like 42, um, which is insane. So that's not even the heavy duty. That's, you know, that's the 150 version if you're thinking Ford terms or yeah. something. Um, but no, your, your baseline trucks now are in the 40s. Um, and if you start looking at like the, the real nice upper trims, because again, I looked at them literally today, you're talking sixties to eighties for some of those trucks. Um, which is not a number that was even fathomable back in the day. No. And the used market on them is not reasonable either. Uh, We were, I was talking about, um, trucks with my, my wife the other day in this same conversation. And pulled up just for kicks and giggles, like open up the CarMax app. And if you want to buy like a used Tacoma, right? Or any of those mid-sized pickups. So not even full-size trucks. So Dude, for a mid-sized truck, the Tacomas look cool. There's yeah. a running joke that they are the official truck of the National Guard because there are so many Tacomas parked out every side outside every armory because they look tough. See, that's a kinder joke than the one uh, in my normal circles, which is that, you know, they're the, the national truck of ISIS, which, of, <laughs> of course, is the uh, the more uh, capable Hilux version. Not that the Tacomas are, are incapable, but but these mid-sized pickups are priced like full-size trucks were not long ago, 10, 15 oh, yeah. years ago, maybe. And so, like, a used uh, Tacoma or a Frontier Colorado Ranger, I mean, you name it, you're still looking at thirty grand unless you're going like complete bare bones, single cab, you know, two door, the steel rims. No, you know, you might still be cranking the windows by hand. Um, yeah, I will say there's a company. I want to say it's Vanguard Motors that I stumbled uh, upon on uh, Instagram, and they just carry all these sweet either restored or resto mod vehicles. So resto mods taking something, you know, like the 69 fastback Mustang or a 69 Camaro or, you know, the old, an old Barracuda and upgrading it with more modern engine and putting disc brakes and some of this. So it, it looks classic, but has more modern features. And so, but they'll, they'll get in, you know, like the old blazers and Broncos. Um, some of the old Broncos are just beautiful. Dude, they post these videos of them of just like pushing the button and opening the doors and closing the doors. And you hear that, like they're putting the key in and unlocking the door and like just the sound of how those doors open, how those doors latch. Like you, you get hit by a freight train. Those doors were staying closed. Um, (laughs) You might have come out of the vehicle because you, you had a lap belt at best, but the door was staying on. Uh, and mm-hmm. just like all those old sounds, you know, and they'll, you know, they'll have like the hand crank, but it's actually a switch for a window motor. And it's um, the more I see some of those, the more I'm like, yeah, I'd kind of like, uh, you know, like an old Bronco or something. Or uh, Jack Carr, God bless him. Uh, his the newest book in the uh, uh, James Reese series, the Terminalist series, actually drops the 16th of this month. So even pre-ordered it, go do that, and then post about it and tell Jack you heard about it on the Sonson podcast, but, uh, he's a big fan of, uh, vintage land cruisers. 
Yeah, which is why James Reese in the books is, and now the TV show is such a, a big fan. And Jack's just about got me sold. I tend to lean towards uh, American vehicles, um, but Jack's just about got me sold on the OG Land Cruisers. I have I have spent not an inconsiderable, uh, not an insignificant amount of time looking at old uh, Land Rover Defenders. Um, some of the old imports and stuff like that. I've also spent a bunch of time looking at um, International Harvester. Used to make a Scout, which was a little bit like a Bronco. Yes. Um, and and I've looked at when I look at some of the numbers it would take to buy a nicer new truck. I realized I could buy a really stupidly restored old, like old uh, Scout or something like that, or an old, or an old Defender. Um, part of the trouble is that I am not mechanically useful in any way, shape, or form. And so the folks who have that mechanical skill and they can buy an old Defender and they can do a bunch of the work themselves, um, and so it makes more economic sense to them, I am a complete vulnerable idiot when it comes to mechanics. And I just have to, you know, every time it breaks, I have to, you know, I got to tow it somewhere and just beg someone not to murder me on repair bills because I have no capacity to begin to describe what's wrong with a vehicle. I'm completely at their mercy. Fair enough. Yeah. (laughs) I'm, I'm chuckling, uh, because, um, and and we got into this, I think on the, the last episode, um, when you were on, uh, I made my case for you being the smartest person I know personally. Um, and, uh, we're, we're starting this call. And last time you were on, I was still using Riverside and now I haven't decided exactly what service I'm going to go with. So I'm like, yeah, we'll just, we'll just FaceTime tonight. So oh, yeah. to which you replied via text, uh, you can record on FaceTime. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, I, I can, I can record on FaceTime. So then, you're going to do this to me. I can't believe it. So then, you're such a bad person. Uh, <laughs> you're shocked. Um, yeah, so, so then like, I, I, you know, I hook up the, the MacBook and I've, you know, got the podcast gear run to it and everything. And so I, I call up Scott on FaceTime and he's like, you're on a laptop. I didn't know you could FaceTime from a laptop <laughs> to which, to which I replied, dear God, you can prescribe people medications. I, I literally did not know that. <laughs> and I was really confused for a second. I was like, wow, that's weird. He's got his microphone plugged into his phone somehow. That's very strange. <laughs> it just, you know, it just goes to show, like, um, you know, everybody's got their their things. And, uh, you know, it's good. It humbles you, right? Like, uh, we knock, this might seem like an odd pivot, but this is like a trap that academia falls into all the time, right? Of, like, translating, transcribing my expertise as valid as it may be in one area to all areas, because I might be a world-class expert in uh, women's interpretive dance. I can speak intelligently and eloquently to all other topics. Uh, And so, uh, you know, can, can Scott help you lose some weight? Sure. Can Scott fix your sniffles? Maybe. I mean, depends on if it's a virus or bacteria. We'll talk about it some other time. Um, But, uh, but can he troubleshoot your iPhone with you? Or, no. uh, you know, <laughs> help no, you change no, out no. Your, your timing belt? Nope. 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 So um, I will give the, the, the vulnerability into my life that one of the larger fights I've had in my marriage in the last year was our washing machine started to leak somehow at one point. 
the or the dishwasher started to leak at some point. And my you know, my wife calls me into the kitchen. She's kind of scared, like freaked out about it. Hey, you know, this was leaking when we started running it. What do we do? I said, Well, we turn it off and I call the plumber. I'll fix it. No, like help me fix it. I was like, Well, yeah, I'm calling a plumber. That's how we fix that. Yeah. Well, no, like help me actually do it. I was like, I don't know how to do that. There's no reason for me to spend four hours trying to figure it out. I don't know anything about it. Part of my new adult found confidence in life is admitting what I don't know. This is on the list. Let me call a smart plumber. And if I got to, like, it's the reason I work so hard. So I can pay people who know how to do things that I don't to do it for me. Like, that's, that's the reason. <laughs> and uh, it was perceived as not helpful at the time. There's something, you know, I, I've worked in and I'm, I'm most, if not all of them have come up on here. I've worked in some interesting trades uh, in my time. Um, and so there's been some some painting in there, um, residential and commercial, um, not artistic, um, some, some plumbing on some pretty grand scales. So uh, for like a municipality, like working on water main, sewer main, sewer line, you know, that kind of thing. Not so much the indoor stuff. And there's just some things now, like even knowing how to do them, all that really informs for you is how strong your desire to never do them again is. Yeah. Uh, I, I have climbed into sewers to help manually pull out clogs. Um, and it's just not my universe anymore, man. Yeah. That That's a young man's game, and that ain't me. <laughs> and, and And I would gladly work two whole days at the clinic. And give all that money to someone else to do it for me because I, don't, I just don't want to do those things. So I, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm talking to Scott. We're getting the call going. We're talking about, uh, you know, the the magic that is FaceTime and electronic devices. Uh, and, um, it's, you know, we're talking about the audio. And I'm like, yeah, it might be a little tricky with you on the speakerphone because it kind of gates it. You know, it, it turns the mic off while the sound's coming out of the speaker on your side, whatever else. I'm like, so if you've got some AirPods, you can throw those in. Um, but otherwise, you know, no big deal. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. Artle, our, you know, our illustrious sound engineer here at the podcast, uh, Art Pipoc, he'll, he'll make you sound good either way. Uh, and you're like, yeah, I, I don't have, I don't have AirPods. I mean, it's, it's 2023. Scott's, a partner in a, in a decent sized, um, urgent care network, uh, currently starting up two side businesses and looking at $60,000 trucks, but I can't pop on the AirPods. I, I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> it's a knowledge thing. I have no idea how they work. I don't understand it. That's and so I just don't need they, to you listen. You don't have to know how they work. It's a, what, what's the quote about like, any sufficiently advanced technology seems like magic to someone who doesn't understand the tech. There's a famous quote that's something along those lines out there. You don't need to know anything for the AirPods, okay? Yeah, you, pretty you, much everything Apple f falls under that for me. I listen, don't understand. You open the box, you open the AirPod case near your phone, and a little picture, you don't even need to be literate, a little picture of them will come up on your screen and ask if you want to connect and you say yes and they're connected and then you take them out and you put them in your ears and you talk and listen to your heart's content. And as long as you can manage plugging them in to the right cable to charge the case, you'll be fine. I knew that this discussion <laughs> would end with a speech where I was portrayed as a complete non-functional idiot. <laughs> 
it, it, you know what it is? It's a defense mechanism. It's the only way I can feel okay about being so much less intelligent than you. Like, are you are you smarter than me? Sure. I, I appreciate but, the backtrack, yeah. but I don't accept it. Are, are you smarter than me? Sure. Significantly? Absolutely. But, like, but, can, where's your but, can, but can I listen to my music over Bluetooth? Sure can. <laughs> When's the last time you heard Chris Stapleton without holding the phone up on speaker? <laughs> oh man, it's so real. Uh, well, Dude, did did, I, did we mention the last time? I don't know if I spoke to you. Did you watch his uh, Super Bowl national anthem? Dude, we've talked about it on here. I don't know if you and I talked about oh. it, but it's like God, he's so much better than everyone. It might have been the end of of performing the national anthem live. It might have been the end. <laughs> It should be because who gets up at the next game to play the national anthem? Who wants to sing that live ever again? No, 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 you're good. It's kind of like after Whitney Houston did it, I would understand if for at least four or five years people were like, no, I'm good. But (laughs) if, if, if Whitney, God rest her soul, were still alive and heard that performance, oh, she'd have to stand up and clap for that. She wouldn't get up and perform after that. Nah, nah. You'd be like, no, nah, okay, I'm good. You win. There was, you win. It was a perfect musical performance. There was, there was no fat on that performance. There was nothing you could do, nothing you could add or take away that would have improved that performance in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, it it didn't need to be messed with at all. I actually saw. Um, so there's a, a comedian who is probably not the flavor of everyone because he is rather dark. But there's a comedian named Anthony Jeselnik, and and somebody he does a lot of the Comedy Central roasts and stuff like that. He's a very dark comic. But uh, I saw a, an interview talking about how he develops his bits, and they're they're usually rather short, one or two sentence one liners, followed by the next one or two sentence one liner thing. And someone was telling him, "Man, I don't understand you. You you've got this bit that was you know 13 seconds long." You could have made three minutes out of that. You could have got three minutes out of that. And he was like, well, no, 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 no. Part of my goal isn't to get the most minutes out of any possible bit. Part of my goal is that every minute I give is the literal best minute possible. Yeah. And I want to look at it and I want to go, is there anything that could have been cut from that that, that doesn't make it worse, right? If, if I can get it, if I can make it just as good in 10 words, why do I need to make it? that good in 50 words. There's no, there's no reason for that. So I've got a different goal than some people. I'm not trying to build the most number of minutes possible. Yeah. And I feel when, when singers and musicians get a hold of something, sometimes they feel like, well, I need the most notes possible in this run. Yeah. And, and the ability to edit that and bring that back and have moments of simplicity and to just let it be beautiful on its own is something that Chris Stapleton um, does very well. Because we've all heard him do the runs. The man could do them. Yeah. You know, he's got the capacity, but the, the the skill to edit to make it more beautiful is something that I think a lot of people could learn from Chris Stapleton more than the ability to play the guitar or match his tone. Yeah, it's something that comedians uh, in particular have helped me realize that I appreciate in art. Um, so it's... I think it's something I always have appreciated, but probably couldn't have articulated before listening more to um, kind of these really high end comedic performers that we didn't used to have access to like we do now. Like you'd see 
their specials or you'd see their shows, but you didn't hear kind of what went into it. And now like no community has latched onto podcasting more or better. I feel like, um, than than these comedians. And I mean, just, um, just these, these murderers, right. Just these people operating at the pinnacle of, um, their skill set of their art form, you know, uh, at Bill Burr and, and Rogan and, and that, that whole, whole circle. Right. And I, I even, like I heard Bill Burr talking about the same, the same thing kind of just in a different context. There's a clip that floats around of him about talking about this sign he read outside of a restaurant or a bar that said, um, we like our beer, like we like our violence domestic. <laughs> and, but his point is, he's like, that's a great joke. Like that's a perfect joke. There's zero fat on that joke. There's, there's yeah. nothing there that's not necessary you, but you can't remove a single thing from it and it still work. It's just this ultimate distillation of what's the least amount I need to say to land this joke for this left. And it translates through to pretty much all art forms. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and I think, I feel like comedy is something that we've only really, um, kind of broadly looked at as art here more recently. I, the comics knew Right. When you hear the comics talk about the greats back in the day that, you know, the Richard Pryor era and this like birth of, of modern comedy uh, and even, um, oh, gosh, what's the dude's name that they portray on um, Marvelous Miss Maisel? Um, kind of like that beginning of kind of that crude kind of shocking. Oh, Lenny Bruce. Yeah. Lenny, you know kind of the grandfather of, of all that stuff. I think they got it. Like they were comedy tends to be ahead of the rest of us. Yeah. Um, and so, but I like hearing them talk about that concept more and more has helped me recognize it in things like Stapleton's performance and go, mm-hmm. Oh, like I always would have liked this, but I understand more why I like it now. It's part of why like modern art seems like much such garbage because they're doing too much and trying too hard. Sometimes they're, they're not trying hard enough, but it's not that like perfection of this piece and this minimalism. And like, it can be very complex, but not more so than it needs to be. Yeah. Right? Like you don't see starry night and think, ah, he's just trying too hard. There's too much. There's too much there. Or there's not enough. It, like, it's just this perfect piece of like, there's not a wasted stroke there, Yeah, you know? It's like, it's like just the right amount of whatever the heck it is. Right. Um, yeah. And I think that that is an important part. Like, you know, if you think about, you know, rappers, you don't always have to throw an extra, uh, extra 10 words in for the line to make sense. Right. Um, if you think about singers, you don't always have to throw an extra 15 notes into that vocal run. You think about the best guitar players of all time. It's not constant runs, Right. It's not constant runs. It's when to put the right note in at the right time and when to not. And sure, the capacity to do the runs makes that freedom easier. But, you know, I don't want to listen to Yngwie Malmsteen all the time because the guy just runs all over the place. I don't view him as one of the best of all time. Best, you know, technicians in the ability to play the runs of all time, yes. But I'm sorry, you can give me a Jack White or a... You can give me a sink of John Mayer if I'm being a little more contemporary or something like that. And I'll listen to those guys all day long over someone who's just proving they can run scales. Yeah. Uh, because editing is important. 
Dude, Mayer's such a such a freak uh, of a guitar player. I mean, he's he's a, just a legit savant, and like it, it's always felt unfair that somebody that could play guitar that well could also sing as well as he does. And yeah, there's it's un, there are people who are just genetically better than us, right? <laughs> and then like, and then they practiced, and then is which a, seems unfair. It is. It's funny because when I hear Mayer talk, like for me, I have a hard time refuting the thought that his um, live album, Where the Light Is, it, is the pinnacle of all music. I think the thought can be refuted. I just have a hard time making a case against it. Every time I'm like, is this my favorite album? Is this the best thing I've ever heard? Uh, I just haven't been able to talk myself out of it. I'm open to being convinced. It is it is really good. But so as much as I can sit and enjoy that album, anytime John Mayer stops and just talks, I'm like, oh, we can't be friends. <laughs> like it's just, <laughs> you know, speaking of trying too hard or kind of that like just in uh, maybe John's a lovely guy. Maybe all of the things he's spou- espousing are genuine and heartfelt, but it just always kind of drips of that like faux depth and that like non-religious spirituality and all that stuff. But when he stops talking and sings and plays, he's a, and he's a genius. And, but as a lyricist too, like some of the lines he drops in his songs, I'm like, I've heard you talk as a human being. I don't know where this other thing came from because it's not the same person. I have to admit, I don't know much about his music uh, in the sense of the origin. Does he write his own lines or does he have writers? I'm sure if you went through, they've collaborated, but I think he writes a lot of his own stuff. So like, I've heard the same thing. um, Like I would admit uh, to being a massive Taylor Swift fan. I don't care what anyone thinks about that. Um, My understanding is she is at least co-writer of almost all of her songs. Like she, she is heavily involved in that. And I, and I think there's something to be said for someone who is a writer as well and isn't just the vocalist. Yeah. I respect the vocalist stuff. Big fan of people who can be vocalists. Not all the good writers are good vocalists. I'm looking at you, Bob Dylan. But um but but man, there's something for people who are just genetically good enough to do both that makes me feel inferior. Uh because there are people who are just better at stuff. Can we can we take a moment to divert here in the safety tree of the solid seven podcast and have an intellectually honest moment. Oh and, no. And what all, are you gonna do? Can we all admit that Dylan's garbage? That he might be a talent <laughs> that he might be a talented poet, but that there's nothing pleasurable about listening to what that man calls singing ever. No, I'm with you on that. I, on a vocal level, I don't think he's I don't I don't understand it. Um but I also wonder if there's a little bit of a generational thing there where at some point the people whose voices I loved to listen to 20 years from now, my kids will tell me their voices stunk. Like, I don't care what anyone says Pearl jam 10, one of the greater, you know, top 10% albums of all time. I love Eddie Vedder's voice. I understand not a classically um, desirable voice to many people. Um, Dude. Ah, gosh, is it Adam Durant? Durant? Is is that the name? The Counting Crows? August and Everything After? Oh, yeah. Amazing album. What a poet. Yeah, before he was ruined by Jennifer Aniston. Before Jennifer Aniston ruined him. That's right. Like, early Counting Crows was one of my favorite things of all time. I mean, all you had to do was was say Counting Crows, and Round Here started playing in my head, in his voice. 
Oh, so good, right? Yeah. And I could listen to that album on repeat for about a year, and I'd be completely content. I would not feel robbed in any way, shape, or form. I might buy Apple AirPods if it was the only way to hear Counting Crows again. Um, was it? Was but the, I, do you know? I the, wonder if some of it's generational because you know I know a lot of folks who were around. You know, Bob Dylan's stuff was contemporary to them, and they live and die by it. And yeah. I'm like, I don't understand that at all. Yeah. Do you know the song uh, "Colorblind"? Was that Colin Crows? I love that song. Um, it's, uh, I, I, I am drawing blanks right now. I am colorblind, coffee black, and egg white. Fill me up from inside. I will never sing on the podcast ever again. Do you not know this song? <laughs> I'm drawing a blank right now. I might edit that out, and I never, I almost never edit. No, don't edit here, it but, out. Uh, Leave it in. I, uh, Scott and I, and our, our exploits in, in high school, uh, we were in uh, chorus together. Yes, the answer to your question is we were super cool in high school and very popular and well-liked. Uh, but the nice thing about being friends with Scott in chorus is that you didn't have to learn the part because Scott would. And so you could just sing next to him and match and you'd be fine. I I was a a reasonably thorough don't want to disappoint Miss Hill. Yeah. I liked her as a human being. She was a very nice lady. And while I was very willing to break rules, I didn't want to disappoint Miss Hill. Yeah. Um, and so most of my uh, arguments with authority were not Miss Hill. Yeah. Speaking of annoyingly talented people like John Mayer, besides being uh, Dr. Smart, um, we talked about the spoken words last time, but you sing really well, too. It's You're really annoying just as a I have person. sang back in the day. I don't yeah. sing like John Mayer, though. Holy cow. Yeah, but most don't. But you're That's not, fair. not yeah, he, yeah. I don't remember. Don't, Are you a, a proper tenor? Um, it would be more baritone. Yeah, I was gonna say um, I was I'm baritone. And and I and I would have more of a like classical traditional voice. I don't have any of the cool voices that would make someone a pop star or anything like that. Um, but you know, put me in a put me in a line with a microphone and give me a give me a the the melody, the harmony, the melody to sing, and I could do all that. Yeah, yeah I'm already cringing internally, thinking back to the couple of words I just, I just sang here again. I told you guys <laughs> this was, this is as close to an inebriated episode of the Solid Seven Podcast as you're ever going to get uh, out of my, out of my sleep deprivation. I didn't really go into that. I mean, obviously, I, I pulled the all nighter uh, last night, but I was, I was actually texting you. I, I tried to, and it's funny because. I always preface it with like, I don't want to be that guy who takes advantage of your uh, expensive medical education. Um, and then, which is preface to, here comes a medical question that I want you to answer for free. Uh, I've never had the, hey man, I don't want to be that guy um, and bother you with medical stuff that didn't follow with an immediate medical question. Yeah, I always just, in my mind, I'm just like, just say it. Because if I'm not going to answer, I just want to Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I try to, to limit it because I do like, I really don't want to be that guy, but sometimes it's not even so much like, it's not like I'm trying to avoid a, a copay or teledoc. Like I'll call Scott instead. It's just like, um, some of these people are idiots and I don't like, um, sadly obtaining any kind of advanced degree, rather that's like actually being an MD or a D, DO or a PhD, the longer you live in life and the more people you meet who call themselves doctors, um, rather that's of the medical persuasion or otherwise, you realize um, it just does not preclude stupidity. No, um, no, it doesn't. And 
And even within just medicine, there are so many things to know that, and, and I mean, I am a family medicine doctor. Um, you know, I am as highly trained as you can be in family medicine. I am board certified. I am literally paid to know the basic surface of almost all the things because my job is to, if I don't know it, know who to send you to. Right. Um, and, and you, I mean, I am rather routinely messaging a colleague or a, a friend or a, a classmate from med school who got into a certain specialty and going, Hey, hey man, when, when this thing happens, cause I, I identified what the thing is. I don't have the slightest clue. Like, is this urgent enough that I need to be calling someone immediately to make sure this person's seen tomorrow? Or can they follow up next week on this? You know, we're constantly kind of double checking with each other behind the scenes yeah. on the, the pieces of stuff that we don't know. And the, the real danger to me is someone who doesn't know enough to know they don't know things, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and those are the people who terrify me or they're so arrogant to assume they know all the things. Um, and those moments are scary. Yeah. So the you know what precipitated all this is uh my daughter uh dude like girls are just hardcore man right like girls are tough man and uh so- I will tell you my my so I I get a lot of college age students from the location I work at and the by far I mean and I understand this is somewhat anecdotal but by far the biggest, I don't care if it's, if my ankle is broken or horribly sprained and, you know, it's swollen to the size of a softball. I don't care. Tape it up. I've got a competition next week. I'm going to move on it. It is, um, is cheerleaders. Um, female cheerleaders are probably the toughest. And I mean this with all, um, respect. They are the toughest psychos I've ever met in my whole life. Yeah. Um, because those jokers will tape up anything and go out and do a tumbling run. I don't understand it. They're tough. Yeah. So my, my little three-year-old, uh, I guess Tuesday night, uh, my wife's putting her down and she mentioned, um, like her throat hurting when she swallowed. I'm like, ah, okay, we'll keep an eye on that. So she says the same thing Wednesday morning, us being like responsible and thoughtful citizens of the world. Uh, we, we keep her home on, on Wednesday. We're like, ah, we'll, we'll whatever. And, uh, you know, but it was just that. And she wasn't, you know, she just said, ah, it hurts when I swallow. And it was like one mention for the day uh, and goes on about her day. No other symptoms, nothing else. Afternoon starts to run a little warm, looks a little, a little flush, um, getting a little lethargic, uh, you know, here, have some Motrin rock solid rest of the night. Like no factor, normal kid, um, goes to bed. No problem. Um, wakes up. About 1130 crying for us, go in and I, you know, you go to pick them up. And if you don't have kids, maybe you've, you've never felt this on, on another person to this extent, but just feels like you could fry an egg on her chest. I mean, just Mm -hmm. roasting. And I, for all the fevers, my kids have run. I've never had a fever, like wake my kid up from sleep. So it's like, she's baking hot and she's like hollering that she's got a headache and her head hurts. And at that age, non-parents, let me tell you, um, you have no idea if they know what the word headache actually means or not, or if it's just a word that's in their lexicon, right? So, I mean, we're like borderline. It's, you know, it's that time of night where, uh, you know, the urgent care pediatricians are closed. 
um, taking kids to adult doctors. We've had to do it, and it can just be laborious. Um, you're you're in for you're in for a long night, and they're just like treating the kids. Like, there's a reason pediatricians are a specialty, right? Like, it's a a different thing, and they kind of know the ins and outs and whatever, right? Um, so it's it's just it's that time of night where the only option if we're going to take her to the doctor is the ER. Um, and uh, so, but we dosed her with some Motrin, hopped in a cool shower with her. She finally started to calm as we were putting her in the van. And now we're kind of doing the back and forth, right? Of, uh, you know, it, it's as a parent, you turn into your own little web MD, uh, right? Where in your head you're going, okay, this could be a mild congestion, um, or this could be encephalitis or meningitis because there's a, yeah. because there's a headache. So those are the extremes of where your brain goes, um, and so. You're like, you know, do we go? Do we not go? She calmed down. So she was fine. We got her into the doctor the next day. This mild sore throat that this sweet little girl had not even whined about mentioned twice was absolutely strep. Mm -hmm. Like pop, pop right away for strep, which, uh, you know, like levels grown men, like you can't talk, you can't swallow, you know, you don't want to eat ice cream. Yeah. Uh, Strep sucks. Yeah. And she's, she's mostly going about her day, but so. I, you know, I, I mentioned reaching out to Scott because like we got her prescription put in and we called be like, Hey, you know, we were going to come grab some other stuff. Just wanted to see when it's going to be ready. Cause we'd like to get her first dose going. And they're like, well, we we've had to reach back out to the doctor and we're waiting to fill up because what they prescribed has been back ordered for months. Um, which I knew was a thing a while back ago. Like I know all of the supply chain stuff and other weirdness, it had gotten difficult to get particularly like the antibiotics, uh, again, non-parents, uh, you know, you probably wouldn't know this, but the kids, their antibiotics, it's normally not a capsule or anything. It's normally a, a liquid suspension. And unlike the dark ages when we grew up and you just had to choke down that garbage, they'll flavor it for you now. It's quite nice. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, like you just couldn't get stuff uh, there for a while, which I thought that was kind of, uh, I thought that was kind of over. And yeah, so, we were stone cold out of amoxicillin where I am for a while. Yeah, just wasn't happening. Which is like the go-to for childhood ailments for the for the ears for stress for crap like this. Like, yeah, I mean, you guys throw out amoxicillin like yeah. your Johnny Appleseed. Yeah, and, it's a little bit like McDonald's not having hamburgers, yeah. right? It's just like it's the thing that pharmacists should have. Yeah. So you know, lucky us. Uh, my daughter's allergic to amoxicillin. Which means we're already like off the bat, we've, we're already on like the next pivot and anything from there gets trickier, right? So what I was trying to get her was something called Seftonir. And like from, from there, like it just gets weirder and weirder and typically tends to get harsher and harsher on your GI tract. Um, and you know what's only slightly less fun than a sick kid uh, is a kid that's just going Mount Vesuvius, um, mm-hmm. you know, where the sun don't shine. <laughs> so uh, it turned out it wasn't that bad a deal. They, it, it's just that they didn't have the strength of Seftonir, um, yeah. which was funny to me. Um, so, you know, putting your doctor hat on for a minute, like the initial prescription was for uh, a 250 milligram. Would that be the right measurement per five milliliter solution? Uh, I, b- I believe it comes in 250s. Yeah. Um, milligrams, the right thing though, right? I always screw that up. So they're like, yeah, it's, it's so many milligrams yeah. per milliliter. So yeah. the initial prescription, uh, was, 
um, you know, five milliliters of that 250 milligram suspension once a day. And they didn't have that, but they had uh, 125 milligrams per five milliliter suspension. Now, listen, I'm not a doctor. You are. Um, I did not stay at a Holiday Inn Select last night. Um, but I can do the maths. I, I can maths. I can maths okay. So her new prescription was not 10 milliliters once per day, but 8.4 milliliters of the half strength uh, solution. Why? Uh, first of all, this you caught me off guard because this is the first time I've heard that the um, volume was not proportional to change of concentration. So I, I don't know that I have a great answer for that. That's, that is confusing to me. And that's where I'm wondering if that's just one of those weird pediatric intricacies of... Should not be. You know. No. The doses, the, the amount of milligrams is the amount of milligrams. Yeah. And we usually do not change the amount of effective medicine dose based off concentration. Um, and if you double the concentration, you half the dose. That yeah. is the, the general, yeah, the, the in, general practice. The initial prescription was the, the 250 milligrams for five milliliters and it was five milliliters once per day. And the alternative script was the 125, but 8.4 milliliters per day. I don't have an answer for that. That is confusing. She, which I, I mean, you can tell me, I, I think strep's one of those things that if it's, if it's strep A, it tends to be pretty responsive to, um, to treatment anyways. And I mean, f- like after first, strep, after strep first is dose. like near 100% responsive to first line, which is like penicillin and amoxicillin. And, and very responsive to the other stuff. It's very, very good. Now, there are there are a few people, rather small percentage, who are what they call colonizers, chronic colonizers, where even if they don't feel bad, you, t- you swab their throat, it'll show up as strep. And there's a whole different protocol for that, like a higher, longer dose type stuff. Um, what, what is more common than colonizers is... Um, People who think every time their throat is sore, it's strep and are angry at their doctor who don't give them antibiotics for a virus sore throat. Yeah. Um, I tell my patients all the time that my angriest phone calls to my clinic are negative strep tests. Um, it's not even close. Uh, yeah. I mean, by far the angriest phone calls because your throat still hurts and it feels miserable. Yeah. But if I can't find strep and I, I uh, that's why I will always offer re-swabs, send out culture. Like I'll offer all the retesting you want for strep. But sometimes it's just a random virus. And the trouble with random viruses is they stink until it doesn't stink. And it's miserable until it's not miserable. And you just got to ride it out. And just as a culture, we have a general intolerance for being uncomfortable. Yeah. It's not something we tend to accept. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> it, it's funny because, um, you know, I did a teledoc appointment. This is back when I think I've talked about this a little bit on here before. But this, this goes back to my point of why I, I will occasionally double-check things with Scott or get his input, even though I don't want to be that guy, um, is I had a bad sore throat. Bad, bad, above average. This isn't guy sick bad. I had a bad sore throat. Um, and this was right when, like, I don't even remember at this point, and I don't even want to pay them lip service, Delta, Omicron, whatever. But whatever variant where severe sore throat was one of the the prominent presenting symptoms. I'm like, 
eh, I'll, you know, I'll tell a doc, I'll spend the 15 bucks, see if I can point the camera down my throat, at least get an antibiotic, if, you know, if it is, you know, if it's, if it's just COVID, nothing's going to change anyways, but at least if I get an antibiotic and it gets better, then it gets better. And this guy, right, it, I mean, it's Teladoc. He's in, I don't know what state. He spent a few minutes on the phone with me. I've explained my symptoms, my concerns, when they started, whatever, uh, what I'm, I'm interested in, you know, course of treatment-wise. And so this guy prescribed like four things. One was an antibiotic. Um, I can't remember everything else. I should have written it down. But then one of the things was he's like, uh, and I'm going to recommend um, that you go ahead and uh, transition um, to a, a vegetable, a plant-based diet. Um, if you're not already uh, immediately, um, <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? Like <laughs> for sure. Like hey, dude, I'm not, I'm not your guy. Right. I'm not, um, I'm not your buddy. You, you pal. Just not, <laughs> not for no, like, does that dude know more about physiology in the body and medicine and treating illness than I do? Sure. Does that guy know more about nutrition than me? No, no. I had him licked. I'm like, dude, <laughs> uh, just, I'm, I'm like from that, as soon as he made that statement, I'm like, Oh, you're a moron. And I'm like, so even if, even if you're that person, right? Like I know that there, there's a cardiologist in particular that are massive proponents um, of, of going to a plant-based diet, um, for whatever. And they'll kind of articulate why, um, I don't think they're 100% right. Not that I don't see, I, I just, I think what they're recognizing as beneficial to people is a benefit of moving away from standard American diet, not necessarily of the plant-based diet itself. We've had that conversation on here before. Yeah. That's it, fine. It's rarely a, Hey, grass fed beef and whole foods make you sick. Yeah, it's usually eating all the random American standard diet crap makes you sick. But like, I was on the phone with this dude for a sore throat, mm-hmm. and you know, he he went into like acid reflux and all this stuff. I'm like, this isn't chronic. I didn't tell you I've been getting sore throats. I'm like, I have a severe sore throat. It's it can't you know like. I feel like I see some white splotches on the back when I look at it. Don't know if that would come through on the phone. You know, wanted to get your take. And this dude's like, yeah, I'm going to need you to go buy some Beyond Meat. Okay, guy. Okay. okay. It seemed like there <laughs> I'm not really sure I have a great response to what's going on there. I, I do think one of the things that is um, problematic, I think, about some of just the general like medical system is I think there's this subconscious change from, Hey, when I pay to go to the doctor, what I'm really paying for is a reasonably expert, if not more than I know, evaluation of my problem and advice on what sort of dangers or stuff is likely to be going on and what is the best thing to do about it which to me is kind of the base expectation that it should be appropriate um, when you go to see a doctor. Um, And I think it has become, no, 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 I pay for a prescription something. And if I don't prescribe something to you that you can't buy on your own, you now feel like I didn't do something appropriate for you or you've somehow got robbed or wasted your money or something like that. And 
again, my, you know, the, the portion of patients who end up not happy with the visit with me and with most of my friends who are doctors is, is heavily leaning towards people who didn't get something prescription strength. Yeah. Because sometimes it's not appropriate, right? Sometimes it's like, Hey man, you got a random sore throat and it stinks. Um, but this is a random virus. And it's uncomfortable, but it's going to be safe. And you're going to take some warm tea with honey. You're going to do some, you can do some cough drops. You're going to do some ibuprofen and Tylenol. And it's going to stink for a week or so, but you're going to get through it, and you're going to be fine. And I have no no statistical benefit to say you're not. Dude, I'm just I'm flashing back to high school sick days, man. When we would freaking down chloroseptic like we were we were Lil Wayne. I'm like, what's wrong? Yeah, you people are too good for chloroseptic. Yeah. Well, and and well, and again, medicine is somewhat to blame for that because we we spent two or three years telling every single person if you got a fever or a runny nose or a cough or a sore throat that you were going to kill your entire family and everyone you worked with if you didn't um, hide in a cave for 15 days. And, I, and the the issue is that there were moments during that time frame where for higher risk people, you really were risking someone's life to a certain degree if you breathed on them, right? Like that was a thing that was potentially true for some higher risk people. It just turns out, particularly now that the strains have changed, that the average person is not at risk of dying, for, you know, at least not a high risk of dying from mild sore throat. And now we're back to like, hey man, these are the normal colds yeah. and these yeah. are the flus that for the average healthy 30-year-old are not life-threatening in any way, shape, or form. But they're uncomfortable for two weeks. But we've gotten to the point where we don't understand that that realm still exists of uncomfortable but safe. And we assume that, well, I'm either I'm either either you think I'm making it up or I'm or I should be legitimately dying. You should do something prescription strength for me or you don't love me. And that's a it's an unfair expectation and it sets up a bad relationship between like the medical person and the patient. Yeah. Well, and dude, like some of the things that have cha- have not reset back to normal that just hacked me off right now um, is, you know, so we're at the the pediatrician and we love this office. We love this practice. You know, it's a whole group of MDs, DOs, PAs, you know, NPs, whatever. And, and we've liked pretty much everybody we've seen there and, you know, they do good with the kids. Um but we're in there and, you know, I, I, I expected her to get swabbed for strep. I expected her to get swabbed for flu, um, you know, and the doctor's going down. And, and we have seen uh, an uptick in COVID. So, you know, we'll go ahead and swab for that too. And that's where I'm just like, I said, so I, I get the other two. I said, if she's positive for COVID, what will, how, what will we do different treatment wise? Oh well, it won't it won't change treatment at all. It would just let us know whether or not she would need to quarantine. I said we're we're good to go ahead and do we're good to go ahead and do strep and flu. We don't need to do the COVID. My my thing is I've been in this same practice with these same practitioners, which are good people. I think they're well intentioned. I you know I don't think they're working for the man. I don't think whatever. But like prior to the pandemic, I'd go in there. We you know with. Um, you know, maybe the kid's running a little warm or maybe a, a runny nose and a productive cough. And depending on how bad the cough is, you want to make sure it's not in their lungs or whatever. And the typical spiel was, hey, uh, lungs are clear. It'll probably take a while to 
get rid of the, to kick, you know, clear everything and get rid of the cough. If they seem uncomfortable or their demeanor changes, you can do some Tylenol or some Motrin or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's probably just, you know, one of these upper respiratory viruses. And part of that spiel would always be, no matter how many times they had given it to us, you'd get it like it's the first time we've heard it. You know, it could even be, you know, something called RSV that goes around that the kids get. Um, and, and you'll know what the acronym stands for. It's a big word that I'm not going to embarrass myself trying to pronounce right now. But RSV is, uh, it is common and it is statistically, provably a greater, it, there's not a great chance of a severe art outcome as I understand it, but it is statistically provably a, a greater threat of severe outcomes to children than COVID, any strain that we've seen of COVID is. And you know what they didn't do when they thought it could potentially be RSV? They never even tested for it, and there was no mention of how long it would be before my kid could go back to school if it was RSV. I'm like, why have we lost our minds over this cold? I don't get it. Well, for for what it's worth, um, I don't know if you will see this as validating or not, um, my general spiel when I am dealing with a child, you know, if I got a four-year-old in there and or a six-year-old and they're, they're coughing and the moms are asking like, well, what should we test for? I, I will usually say that at that age, I'm not particularly a big fan of Tamiflu for kids that small. There's some evidence that it is a little riskier for them. And there's some risks of, there's some populations from outside the, the States that have had some studies there and it's a bit of a mediocre medicine to begin with. Um, it's more of a makes your symptoms go away faster than changes outcomes type of medicine. So I'm not a massive fan of it. I don't buy it for myself. I write a lot of it because a lot of people really love it. And, you know, it's it's FDA approved. So if they want it, they can have it. But I tend to give a rather neutral um, patient education on how useful it is. So what I would usually say to parents is like, hey, strep, I would absolutely treat with a certain thing for your kid, and it does change outcomes. Um, But for COVID and flu, um, for a six-year-old who's otherwise healthy and looks very stable in front of me to where, you know, they look mildly sick, but they don't look like they're in danger in any way, shape, or form. Unless you want it for intellectual curiosity or you've got higher-risk people in the house or your school is requiring it to go back, I'm going to tell you, your kid is contagious as long as they have fevers and feel miserable. And so you should kind of quarantine along those guards. But I don't know that you need to spend your money. And I get it. I, I got Q-tips for days. I make more money doing tests. I'll do the test if you want it. Well, and, but and, I don't think I change your kid's life by doing a COVID or flu test. Yeah. Hearing that, do you think you still want one? That was and so good. that's literally yeah. word for word the speech I give which usually means I don't do a ton of COVID tests on six-year-olds. Yeah. Well, and that was going to be my question, not to take things down a conspiracy theorist rabbit hole, because I'm, I'm not that guy and you know that, but I'm just like, is there just an incentive loop built in here where it's so easy to swab and run a COVID test right now? Like, are these, are they just, at this point, are they just easy money? Like, is it just practitioner crack to be like, I tear open that wrapper and cha-ching. Um, well, I don't know that I would reduce it to only that, but I can tell you it is more profitable. Does that make sense? Yeah. There there may be people who sincerely believe that they are helping every six-year-old by doing a COVID test on them. I am not among those people. Um, I still will swab a six-year-old if mom wants to, that sort of thing. Um, but, But I don't do it without explaining that it is very unlikely to change what I do for the kid. 
because most kids, their outcomes, like it, there's not a specific treatment that works for them that changes anything about the kid. So knowing that it's COVID to me, the only benefit I see is your school requires the test for you to go back, which frankly I would disagree with um, just on a population health basis, but, uh, or you've got a higher risk person in the house. Now, you know, if you've got, um, and this has happened on multiple occasions, you've got a parent on, on cancer treatment in the house, their immune system is completely falling apart. Uh, or for flu, there are um, FDA approved flu exposure treatments for adults, yeah. particularly more useful for folks who are higher risk. So if you've got someone in your house with really, really high risk factors because their immune system is shot for whatever reason, um, and you want to test a six-year-old to know if they've been breathing flu on dad for the last week, bro, I, I got you. And, and frankly, I'll do the test even if I don't necessarily think it makes a whole lot of sense. If It's your kid and your Q-tip if you want it. But, um, but I, I, like to, I like to think I do a decent job of giving reasonable expectations for what is to be gained by doing the test. Yeah. And sometimes there's not a whole lot to be gained. Yeah, well, because even in that instance, right, of, you know, maybe they're around somebody who's higher risk or immunocompromised. It's not like you're going to run that COVID test, all right? So the kid's clearly symptomatic of something. You swab, yep. them for, you swab them for COVID. It comes back negative. The response isn't, it's not this one specific virus that we know causes cold symptoms. So just go ahead and lick that immunocompromised person's face. The, whatever else you got, they'll be fine. That's not the yeah. point. Like, hey, you're symptomatic. doesn't matter what I swab. Stay away from them until you're not. Oh, well, and, oh, okay. and that's the advice there. And so when, when I talk about like, oh, there are other people in the house, so I need to know. Um, my advice is, well, this kid's already sick. Right. So like, let's, let's not have them go to grandpa's house. If grandpa's on cancer treatments, like let's just not do that. That seems like a bad idea, even if it was negative. But to me, the thing that is potentially useful is a flu test just because prior exposure has a literal treatment for the adult. And so, um, that I will, I will actually kind of suggest that like, well, if you've got a really high risk person in your house who would buy flu exposure treatment, if they knew they were exposed to flu, you might want to do this test just for that reason. But for, for the COVID stuff, there's not a COVID exposure treatment, right? Yeah. If, if you've got sick people in your house and you're high, high risk for COVID or high, high risk if you were to get COVID you, and you would do those COVID treatments that exist, if all of those things are checked, you as the high risk person should just be doing tests on a pseudo regular, right? You yeah. know, every three or four days or something like that or every other day if, if it's a super, if you're the known COVID person in your house, but, but for the, for the life of the six year old, none of that is useful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's just not. Well, for, for so many things, there is exposure treatment. There's just no money in it. Um, <laughs> take, take better care of yourself, spend some time in the sunlight and, or, uh, take some vitamin D supplements if you don't. And, uh, eat, eat a little better, if not a lot better and move a little more, if not a lot more. Uh, and you're going to do a lot better with many, many, many things. Well, there's, yeah, there's a lot of things in life that like, you know, if you had the, the time to get started on it, um, getting your health, your weight to optimum weight, you know, uh, stopping smoking, you know, improve your activity level and your cardiovascular health and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, if you look at the graphs of who was most hurt by, you know, we're talking COVID a little bit here. Um, it, it wasn't nearly as often a appropriate weight 45 year old who does, you know, three hours of exercise every single week. 
that was not the average person who died from COVID, right? Um, and we can all do a lot more to increase our odds of surviving any random thing if we just, but the issue is that lifestyle is, is hard and changing our daily habits is hard. And frankly, not a lot of us want to do it. Um, and, uh, we, we don't either find the motivation or the resources or whatever combination of stuff you want to blame it on, uh, because it's, it's difficult to change the way we live. Uh, what is it that you're, uh, using prophylactically for flu? Um, the, well, uh, Tamiflu is actually approved for that. Is it really? uh, so the Oseltamivir, there is, it, it's annoying because it, of course it couldn't just be the same dose where I could tell someone if they were exposed and they feel a little off that I could just give them the exposure dose because it was the same as treatment. Um, but it's, they have, there's a twice a day, five day treatment that's approved for treatment of flu. And there is a once a day, 10 day treatment that is approved for exposure, Interesting. Uh, which, which is super annoying that um, someone with some mild symptoms and known exposure would literally have to pay for a test to figure out which regimen is most approved for them. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's that. So I know you're not a fan of it uh, on the on the treatment side, but you like it as a prophylactic. You like the data on that. Um, I find it to be roughly as mediocre as the um, as the the treatment data, um, but it is still approved, and it is a thing that that has some data to it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it, you know, and it's it makes some sense to me in that I feel like the intended purpose and outcome there would be something particularly susceptible to benefiting from uh placebo effect in that um just the 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 release of stress um mm -hmm. you know the the way that would change uh you know cortisol the impact that that could have on just your immune response in general if you think it's going to work all of the effects that believing it's going to work would have on your immune system would likely be beneficial in warding off infection that's an interesting yeah. one yeah, no, I, I am, um, admittedly, I'm a pretty big pessimist on most things, and you, you know this about me in general. Um, I, I don't necessarily think that some of the perceived treatment benefit there was from placebo effects, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I think the knowing I got a pill, um, just knowing you got something prescription from the doctor just makes some people feel better. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, it, you know, so much of what you've said goes back to the conversation we were having um, about art in that, you know, what, what's frustrating, um, for, uh, you know, thus, uh, those of us on the re receiving side of medicine, um, you know, which we forget that doctors are also on that side. <laughs> right. Um, but is that so much of what you do, you know, I, we want to think of you guys as scientists and to some degree you are, but the practice of medicine is as much art as science. And I think, a lot of that art could benefit from the way you practice. And that, I mean, you're talking about the same thing is that minimalism. Let's not, let's not prescribe things like trim the fat, make the joke lean, get rid of everything that doesn't need to be there. If there's, if there's no benefit in treatment or outcome to running this test, prescribing that thing, then let's, let's not. And it, things probably get better um, yeah. just from that one thing. Well, like I will tell people pseudo regularly, if I, if I look in, if you're talking about ear pain and sore throat and I look in your ear and, and it's a, it's a pretty clear win ear infection to me, the, the treatment for that 
happens to be the same treatment as strep throat. So if you're telling me, hey, doc, my ear hurts and I want a strep throat test. Well, okay, you're already getting a treatment for ear infection that frankly happens to be the strep throat anyway. And I'll, I'll again, almost exact phrasing. Hey, if you're just intellectually curious and you want to know if it's strep, I have a Q-tip, I'll do it. But you're already getting the treatment. It's not like it's going to change anything for you to do this test. So you don't necessarily benefit from it in any way that I can see. Um, hearing that, do you still think you want the test? And, and immediately everyone goes, no. And I'm like, good, that's a good choice. I agree with that decision. Um, and then we move forward, right? Uh, there's, you don't always have to do all the things. Um, someone, who, someone who says, hey, I got a little bit of a cough. I don't really feel like I'm short of breath. I listen to their lungs. Their lungs are clear. You know what? We don't need a chest X-ray, right? Like there's nothing that indicates danger or that a chest X-ray would be likely to show something that we're, we, we are both discussing here that would be missing. So let's, we don't need to spend your money on a chest X-ray. We don't need to put radiation through you. There's no reason to do it. You mild cold, bro. Like, so you're going to be, you're going to be okay. Um, there, there's, I, I probably am more of a minimalist than some people on that sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, and again, the, the problem is, and you know, I don't know how you adjust for it. And I, I think we have some version of this conversation most of the time that you're on, but maybe one of these times we'll land on, on the perfect solution. But I'm like, there's just, uh, you know, a feedback loop there on the, if you do run the test, you can bill for the test. Um, and, and I think that it is one of the reasons a lot of systems like to do that. And I think that a lot of doctor's offices, um, if they're going to default in one direction, they default towards it. Um, the other thing is that frankly, if I had to, if I had to guess which, which thing a patient would want to lean towards, it feels to me like patients usually want more tests and more medicine the the impression that somehow you're getting more for your buck if you, they do more things when you go by, um, and and I think that that is a it's a difficult thing to fight both your own profit margin and a patient feel like demanding more things by saying no 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 this is not appropriate I don't have to do this to you I don't have to spend your money I don't I don't help you by doing this. And I'm going to make you more mad at me by saying I don't need to do these things, but I'm not going to because it's me being a good doctor. Um, it, it's a, it's a, it's an uphill battle in a number of ways. Yeah, <laughs> and it can weigh on you because those are the my biggest arguments: is why won't you do this thing? Yeah, I, I'm I'm flashing back to an episode of Scrubs where uh, Richard Kind, where he's one of those actors where you might not recognize Richard Kind by name, and as soon as you look him up, you'd be like, oh yeah, that guy. So. He was in Sin City. He's been in uh, was it was it Sin City? Spin City? What was the one with Michael J. Fox, like working for the mayor? Anyways, if you look up Richard Kind, you will have seen him in any number of things. So he had this recurring guest role as a as a hypochondriac on Scrubs, and uh, the evil you know chief of medicine running the hospital, Doctor Kelsos, wanting to start advertising and offering full body scans, and. Uh, Dr. Cox is, you know, like no morons ever going to want these. It just, you know, finds problems that aren't really there. And the first person to walk through the door with a smile on his face is this hypochondriac character that just can't wait to find out all of the many ailments he's been missing. Yeah. Well, I mean, so not to tease about it, but, but I, I have actually had multiple people show up and 
they say, hey, I just need to do, I just, I've been feeling a little tired lately. I, I want to do all the blood work. What do you mean? I want to run all the tests and just make sure everything's clear. What, what, well, what thing are we testing? All the tests. I want all of them. And, and people think that I'm being mean when I say, hey, listen, I, I'm not trying to tease you, but I just want to describe to you the scope of what you just said. Like, you literally don't have enough blood to do all the blood tests. Like, all the tests is thousands of tests. Like, that's, that's just, it's, it's, a, it's a, a request that is so far divorced from reality doesn't mean anything. And so what we probably need to do is let's just talk about how you're feeling that you, what do you think is wrong about how you're feeling? And then we'll, we'll build a plan from there. But, but I just need to hard stop on the, on the notion of all the tests. Cause that's just not going to happen. That, that's not a thing. Yeah. I'm like, well, doc, I've just been so lethargic all the time. Sits at work all day, no exposure to natural sunlight, garbage diet, screens till 1130 or 12 p.m. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I, I've spent times where I was, you know, in school and I was studying, you know, literally 13 hours a day um, and I wasn't exercising and I was eating junky fast food and my BMI was pushing 40. It, and you know what? I felt pretty tired and miserable and my back ached and... Everything felt wrong and I got tired fast. Uh, and I find that when I go through the hassle of trying to eat a little more correct, get my weight in an appropriate level, be more physically active and do things that get my heart rate going on a regular basis, weirdly, I start to feel better. Um, but it's a lot of work. And, and so a, a lot of that stuff can be, can be or like, hey, well, I find I, I don't sleep real well. But every time I kind of wake up, I turn over and look at my phone for 20 minutes and I have a bunch of alcohol before I go to sleep and my room isn't dark and I live in a loud neighborhood and, you know, and I refuse to get a CPAP. <laughs> it's like, uh, okay, uh, let's try and let's try and at least address one of those things and see if we can help you out. Yeah. I, you know, as, segueing a little bit there, you know, talking sleep, uh, which I know it's, it's not really what we were talking about, but, um, Michael Easter, who we're, we're just massive fans here at the Solid 7 Podcast. Um, Michael's a, a reporter and an author, and uh, he, he wrote um, uh, Comfort Crisis, which if you haven't read Comfort Crisis already, 100% uh, worth every penny. Buy it on Kindle. Go get it from the library. Whatever you need to do to get your hands on Comfort Crisis. It's, it's a worthy read. Uh, but in, you know, in his um, just various... Um, investigation sounds like it's got a negative connotation, but just different studies and, and work he's done for books and articles and stuff like that. He came across this uh, stat at one point um, that when the option of an escalator is available, when an escalator is present, only 2% of the population will take the stairs. And he's, he's kind of latched onto that with this concept of uh, be a two percenter, right? Like, Take that moderately harder path, do the the tougher thing in general. And, and, and you can imagine how that kind of concept turns into uh, or ties into um, like the book, The Comfort Crisis, and really that kind of uh, mindset uh, and outlook. And so, but he's he's turned this into, he started doing like the, the two percenter newsletter. And listen, a lot of people have newsletters and they're a dime a dozen and they, they turn into junk mail. Um, I'm, I'm a really big fan of his newsletter. And man, he, he really puts out like, well-researched, easy to understand, actionable information all the time. And uh, over the last week, um, 
And he's been putting out some really great information on sleep and kind of uh, debunking some of it because sleep's been, you know, uh, kind of this hot button ish. It's been the topic du jour here lately and optimizing for sleep. And it's got to be pitch black and it's got to be dead quiet. And the, the room's got to be 58 degrees. And, um, you know, you, you got to tape your, your nose open and your mouth shut and, you know, wear this sleep tracker and watch your data. And I geek out on that stuff. I love it. I've talked about the order ring and I've, I've tracked my sleep with, you know, apps and wearables and all kinds of stuff. But, you know, he's just been making a great point recently about how, probably like the hyper fixation and the stress around optimizing for sleep is probably more detrimental to the quality of your sleep than the things you're trying to eliminate that are detrimental. And there, and, and then gets into, you know, he's also broken down, um, you know, here are some actual, you know, data back tips. He's like, you think like we wouldn't have made it as a species if the sleep is so necessary and we, we only now are gaining a better understanding of really why we need to sleep. Um, and it's, it's really more about um, brain function and flushing of your lymphatic system uh, than, than anything else. And I, again, like medicine's one of those things and physiology and biology is one of those things where it's like just crazy how much we continue to realize we don't know. Like the fact that we have still like recently, like not recent decade, recent years, discovered new organs in the human body. Like Da Vinci was dissecting cadavers, but we're finding new organs, um, you know, and things like the vagus nerve. It's just insane, uh, right? But he's like, we couldn't have made it as a species if the only way for sleep to be effective and optimal was for it to be perfectly dark and perfectly quiet and the perfect temperature. Yeah. It's like, there's different well, levels the of moonlight, starlight, different temperatures, Animals are howling, chirping. People are talking around campfires. The campfire's coming through, uh, you know, your your teepee or whatever. Like, it just can't be the case that that's necessary. The other thing is when I think of all the people who've ever shown up in a room of mine and said, hey, I'm having trouble with sleep. Um, you know, anecdotally, I'm making up numbers here, but less than 5% of them were people who did physical activities all day. You know, um, I never had literally have never had a construction laborer who didn't drink a lot of alcohol or a ton of caffeine who got up at five o'clock in the morning and went to work for 10 hours a day. Tell me they couldn't sleep. It's just never, ever happened yeah. ever, ever happened to me. Um, I've had a few tell, I've had a few of their spouses tell me they couldn't sleep because the guy was snoring all night long. Right. But like, I, he slept like a baby, right? Uh, because if it is a, a near universal thing, you know, there's always the weird exception or something like that, but it's a near universal thing that if you, if you put appropriate things in your body and you work your body all day long, your body will go to sleep. Like it's, we, we will sleep if we do things and, and are active and make our body tired. We will go to sleep. And, and I don't understand how that is a thing that seems to be missed. And people still seem to think that they can drink a million tons of alcohol. They can sleep until noon, but act like they don't sleep at all. Because um, most people who tell me they can't sleep, when I really go through their schedule of when they get in their bed and when they wake up, they sleep more than I do. Yeah. Uh, 
because they're, you know, they're not waking up till noon or something like that. And they wonder why they can't go to sleep when they lay in bed at, at 10 o'clock. I'm like, well, you're trying to sleep 15 hours a night that's yeah. and you don't do any physical activity. And that's probably contributing. Well, Jocko gets into that a lot, you know, because, of course, people like to d- dissect his sleep habits because he famously, you know, gets up so early uh, each morning. And, you know, so, you know, he posts a picture of his phone around 430 uh, every morning. And I, I think he says he typically goes to bed like around 11. And so that's not and he straight up says he's like, I'm not telling everyone they should get five and a half hours of sleep a night. I'm telling mm-hmm. you what I do. Uh, you know, um, and you know, so he, he's got some nuance around it, but what he does say for sure is he's like, I work hard and play hard every day. When I do go to bed, I'm, I'm, it's because I'm done. He's like, and I lay down and I go to sleep, mm-hmm. you know, and it's that, yeah, it, it actually getting him with some level of exhaustion. And I, I think what's been, um, such a great message to be getting out there, uh, lately and it just gets lost because, again, you can't sell anything. There's no money in this. But Andrew Huberman's been doing a great job lately of just banging that drum of natural light exposure and how much of quality sleep is still tied to a solid circadian rhythm and how much yeah. just a little bit of morning light exposure, like 10 minutes um, of light in the, of sunlight in the mornings, even on a cloudy day, Um how it positively impacts circadian rhythm and can improve sleep. Yeah. But you can't. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of sunlight. There's a lot of good benefits to getting sunlight. Now I'm not a big fan of like tanning, um, you know, sun issues and stuff like that, but like exposure to sunlight is an important part of like life, right? You, I think it's an important part and just to completely go full indoor, you know, I'm thinking like around the world in 80 days, Morlock kind of stuff or time machine Morlocks. Uh, that's not a great idea, right? We we do benefit from having outside air and doing outside things. Um, I, I've never been someone who thought like necessarily you win by you know bare feet in the grass, connection to the earth, kind of stuff. But but exposure to sunlight is an, is an important thing, and just physical activity level in general. And not that everyone needs to be physically outside for every sunrise, but if you sleep till noon every day and don't get out of your bed till one o'clock in the afternoon. I'm not shocked you have trouble sleeping. Yeah. You know, at some point you I've 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 told everyone that if they if they start waking up at five o'clock in the morning every morning and they work out for an hour every single day and they still have trouble sleeping, come back and see me about it. I've never had someone come back. <laughs> it's just not a thing. Yeah. Um, because again, if you make your body tired enough, you will go to sleep eventually. Yeah. Now, I know, um, and I don't know if you've looked into this at all, I know Huberman's a big proponent um, of a few different uh, magnesium supplements, and he does a far better, uh, you know, go seek that out if you're, if you're interested. Uh, I was just talking to a mutual friend of ours recently who said he's actually seen big benefits to his, to his sleep in particular um, and following kind of that Huberman-recommended uh, regimen of uh, magnesium supplementation because it's just something that a lot of people evidently do tend to be um, deficient in, uh, and that is impactful to, uh, you know, whatever processes play a role. Uh, I've seen, I've seen a bunch of stuff about that. Now, God bless the fact that I'm a doctor and therefore subject to lawyers and all that sort of stuff to a certain degree. So I need to be very specific about what I'm saying next. Um, I've heard a lot of people anecdotally tell me that they feel better when they take magnesium. 
I do not know if there is placebo to that or if that person was actually objectively deficient in magnesium. I'm not a massive fan of taking large doses of any particular mineral, you know, exogenously not from food, um, without getting some sort of objective proof that you are in fact low in it, because there can be dangers to taking some of those things um, in large amounts without needing it. And because a lot of people who get into the, oh, well, this is the, this is the new mineral du jour or supplement du jour, they have no chill and they go real hardcore. And as opposed to like, oh, I should take a magnesium pill every day because I think that makes me feel better. They'll take like, well, you know, one is good. I want to feel 42 times better than everybody else around me. So I'm going to take a literal bucket of this stupid pill every single day. And uh, there's always one person who goes too hard in the paint, so to speak. So um, in my mind, it, if you're deficient in it, by all means, take it. Because it is a thing that a lot of people are deficient in. I'm I'm 100% in agreement on that. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, supplements and uh, drugs. Uh, yeah. Twitter. I was going to say Twitter's in the news again, but Twitter hasn't left the news. And of course, uh, no drug these days is more ubiquitous uh, than social media. Uh, Indeed. And uh so I don't I don't know if you caught this because I, I think this came out today. Maybe I saw stuff about this yesterday evening, but um, it looks like uh, Elon's been uh, that he's selected a replacement CEO for for Twitter, now, and people. Have I did thoughts. not know much about the selection. I did see the the thing that said in something like the next six weeks he intends to be stepping down, and there was a photo of a young woman. I, I say young; she looks younger than me. She might be forty. I don't know, but um, but I don't know much about her, and I didn't see her name. What it, was it? Am I correct that it is it is a lady? Yeah, the name hasn't stuck with me, um, but it it just seems an interesting pick. Um, in normal scenarios with other people, I'd be really bothered by it, but I just continue to become less and less willing to bet against Elon Musk. So uh, whatever her name is, and a a better podcast would would look it up. Um, but she's recently worked at like NBC Universal. Um, for in, you know, like marketing and advertising or whatever. And she holds some relatively high up position. And this is really the more troubling thing with the World Economic Forum. So just on the surface, those two credentials would seem to run a little counter to what Elon at least says he's been trying to do at Twitter. Now, I've talked about it on the podcast before. If, if, Elani was a adjective. It would seem a very not Elani choice. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll see. I mean, he's like, for whatever people want to bash Elon for, like he's really transparent with his businesses. Um, and so he said, like, we're going to do a, a Twitter Spaces with her on this date. At you know, ask your questions. Uh, well, whatever. So he still owns the company. Like he's he's the majority owner. Which, like, no job, no title in a company trumps owner, CEO or otherwise. Um, so he's going to remain the chief technology officer, uh, and he's he'll still be the owner, and you know, some some title involving chairman will remain his, um, just not chief executive officer. So it just sounds like she's going to be dealing more with the, like the the pivot here is to ultimately morph Twitter into what he's referring to as App X, the app for everything. So. 
something more like, uh, you know, WeChat, but without all of the Chinese spying and data collection. Um, and so, uh, you know, he's, he's, you don't spend 44 billion and expect to keep the same losing business model, um, that the, the company had. And so that, that she, I, I've seen people make the case that she makes sense in making a turn towards, uh, you know, changing the business model and, and making Twitter more profitable. I, you know, I'll say as a long, long, long term Twitter user, I never left. It's still been my favorite for news and information. It's so much faster than everything else. I, I've liked Elon's changes. I think community notes are highly effective. They're, they're way more impactful. And from what I've seen, show way less bias uh, than what passes for, for fact-checking elsewhere. Uh, and even the community gets to police the community notes like the, you know. The- now, as, as, a, as a non-Twitter adopter, basically ever, you know, admitted by the fact that I like can't even figure out AirPods. Um, what for the for the, the noobs around us, what are community notes that he changed? So it's, it's kind of like more free form fact checking, but it's like somebody, you know, makes this post. You can go on, and I don't know that just anybody can do this. You know, I haven't messed around with all the ins and outs of it, so uh, I'm not sure what kind of what little niche you'd be in to be able to post community notes. But you can just go on that post and add context. Um, okay. So it's, and that's different than replies. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of more official, like um, you know, content fact checking on the fly. But then even the community can be like, "Oh, this community note was helpful," or "This wasn't." So like. It's almost Reddit style, like the more helpful you're recognized as being with doing these community notes, the more you're able to do community notes. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, there's definitely been more. So there's a little bit of community, um, community provided street cred. Yeah. Um, and definitely like he's, he's added subscriptions They're They're, they're definitely doing more for, um, uh, creators to be able to derive income. They're taking minimal cuts from those things. Um, a lot of the people that I talk about on here that I'm big fans of NASA space flight, um, and, uh, and Tim, Tim dot everyday astronaut, people like that have been able to do subscriptions. A lot of the space photographers, you can go on for a couple of bucks and you can do, you can subscribe to them on Twitter. You can get subscriber only content and do subscriber only spaces like these little audio hangouts. Um, you know, he's improving the video quality. Um, you know, it's, you're, you're not as likely to be banned or, or kicked off the app. Uh, is it, are you a little more likely to, to see or hear a, a thought that you don't like or ascribe to? Yeah. Um, you can, uh, just not follow that person. So you feel like, you feel like he's done a good turn in terms, or I, I don't know, good or bad is the wrong word, but you feel like the, the more free speech, open idea concept has been consistent. Yeah. You know, from what I've seen so far and like, I don't know how Elon does it. Like the dude's super responsive to a lot of people on Twitter. And it's, it's funny. It has been funny watching legacy media and watching the social media space deal with um elon uh running twitter like he does spacex and tesla because it's very antithetical to what others do and so it looks very uh chaotic and haphazard um Mm -hmm. 
and misguided from the outside, but it's that engineering concept of go fast and break things. It's, you know, um, one of the things Elon always stays aware of, and he mentioned this in an interview with Tim Dodd, and it's the same thing we were talking about tonight in medicine and in art. Uh, you know, he said that the greatest mistake an engineer can make is optimizing uh, a, a part or a process that doesn't need to exist. <laughs> uh, and so it's very much that. So it's like he's just very willing to say, oh, we'll try this because I think it'll make it make things better. And then if there's backlash or it doesn't make things better, he'll walk it back. And so legacy media and the Elon haters and, and people who maybe just don't like what they perceive as politics to be are like, oh, look, he's doing all these stupid things and then undoing them. Dude, it's no different than him blowing up starships until he lands one right. It's no different than like you can go watch a 10 minute video put out by SpaceX. Tyler. Yeah, it's like there's there's no virtue in being the company that's still trying to perfect VHS. Yeah. But it's, it, 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 you don't need it. Move on to something else, man. It died. Yeah. And so like, and they, they own that. And it, it's, it's really in your face at SpaceX. Like you can go and watch a whole 10 minute long video published by SpaceX titled how not to land an orbital class rocket. And it's just Falcon nine fails, just explosions, just failed landings, 10 minutes worth. Except for now, just this past week, um, SpaceX had their 200th consecutive successful Falcon 9 launch, and the successful landing numbers like right on the heels of that. So it's like it fails and it looks like madness and stupidity until it doesn't. And he's in the like blowing up rockets phase of Twitter right now. But I think he's going to be in the landing rockets phase of Twitter in very short order. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are going to have egg on their face. Well, when you, I think part of the issue is that, and I don't know if it's that he's so good at the tech or he's so good at finding people who are good at things. I'm not sure what it is about him. You know, he's just, he does seem to be somewhat of a Midas kind of guy. Uh, where it seems like everything the guy touches seems to work. But, I mean, the guy basically created one of the most successful, innovative car companies on the planet um, and then came up with a really cool satellite internet technology. He's got um, roof tiles for uh, solar panel stuff that are really, really impressive things, full-on house-wide electrical batteries. The guy does quite a bit of stuff, and um, and he doesn't even have to recreate Twitter. It's already existed. He's just finding ways to tweak things that are make it better. And then he's going to do the thing that he does, which is turn it all on its ear and try and redo something in a different direction. So he's not going to just come up with a better platform for people to argue with each other on. He's going to try and do something different with it. So I, for what it's worth, just from the peanut gallery, I'm interested to see what happens. I I don't know that I'll start using Twitter, but I'm interested to see what happens. Yeah, it's I don't know what the what the method is to the madness. I think, um, I I think he's taken uh, his his weakness and made it a strength. I I think that that touch of Asperger's uh, has ser- actually served him well, um, in uh, in business <laughs> and. Uh, well, we'll see, man. I, I wouldn't bet against him. I wouldn't. I, so, I, did did you see his SNL appearance? 
<laughs> yes. Uh, I, I thought it was um, both not always funny and maybe one of the most self-aware, um, insightful things I've ever seen. Because at one point, he's, I forget if it was in a skit or in the monologue, he said something about like, well, people say that I'm like odd and they have trouble approaching me and I'm a weird person and all that sort of stuff. And he's like, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm a crazy billionaire who built a car company and is like flying to the moon on his own. I, I, I don't know how normal you expect me to be. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. like what I, I have to do that and be normal guys. You gotta be, you gotta give me a break. <laughs> I can only do so much. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, it's well established on here that I'm a fan, but I, I like, um, I like the direction things have been going in Twitter. I, I like what he's doing. I, I, I at least feel like I see some method to the madness and, and the potential there. So well, time, and, time will tell. I, and in terms of the CEO choice, um, that they must be an incredibly impressive individual for him to consider handing this over, um, or at least the immediate day-to-day control. It's not like he's giving away the company. But um, the other thing is that he has proven he's willing to change his mind. And so if he starts to feel it's going the wrong direction, I'm sure this person will have good luck in their future endeavors, and they'll be fired, and they'll move on to something else. Well, and, and I'll say this. like He's, he's like the anti-Trump in top-level hires, uh, where like with, with Trump, no matter what the position is or who the person is, it's always, they're the best person. People say they're the best. No one's ever done this job better. They're going to be great, uh, until they quit or leave. And then he's backtracking and they were incompetent and they were the worst person ever. Uh, and it was like, well, you gotta, you gotta pick one bro where like Elon's track record with these top level hires is really, really strong. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know the I the WEF thing's really troubling to me, but there's method to his madness, and already you know he's he's replying to comments online, and people are like, "Oh, get ready for the shadow banning and the banning uh, to return and all this stuff," and he's just like blunt, like right on there. He's like, "That will not happen. That's that's not that's not a thing. That's not happening." So it really sounds like kind of the content moderation that type of thing really isn't even a CEO going to be in her wheel in her purview or in her wheelhouse. It is very telling, and it's got to be a little bit terrifying uh, to similar social media companies that, you know, when Elon first went in, he started cleaning house, and that was the big story was the layoffs. And he's fired something like two-thirds or even 70 or 75% of the Twitter employees at this point. And oh, people, wow. Is people, it that much? Oh, yeah. People were literally running stories uh, and making posts about just – the impending collapse of Twitter. Like it's just going to go down and not come back up. Um, and here it is still running and improving. Like you want to talk about trimming the fat. So it's like the, you know, well, wasn't there initial stories about how some of the people were angry because he said, Hey, you got to come back to work because it was just a known deal that you could show up three of the five work days and come in at 10 o'clock and do a two hour lunch and, leave whenever like there was no real 40 hour expectations out of people is was am i correct in thinking that was one of the original stories yeah there was there was a lot of that stuff i mean uh it, it seemed like they were basically as far as the way their their offices and staff function it was kind of the real life grizzle from from parks and rec where uh you know just uh just anarchy really mm-hmm. <laughs> 
just a lot of people doing nothing. And I'm sure there were plenty of people working on, uh, you know, uh, diversity quotas and those sorts of things. And I think Elon's like, Hey, how about we, uh, make like engaging social media? How about we do that? <laughs> how about we make a functioning platform that people want to interact with? I just want to know how I get one of those jobs where you don't really have to do anything and you still make hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's sounds like a great gig. Well, you can go on and watch these, these videos uh, of these employees at, at, at companies at Twitter and Twitter like it, like day in a life. And they're like rolled in, you know, picked up my free boba tea, you know, attended a meeting in this green space, you know, met in the cafeteria and did our, you know, our, our free tapas or our free sushi spent some time in the quiet room for meditation. I'm like at no point, like nothing, there's no work in their whole day in the life. Like there's, there's nothing there where anything got done. Uh, and they're like, yeah, it's not like sat down and answered these 400 emails. Like yeah. the, there's never like the productivity where you can describe what benefit you brought. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I say, you know, you're the smartest person I, I know personally. Um, but I think those people might I was about be. to say, maybe these millennials making what you're making at these companies without seeing a, a fresh patient every 10 minutes for 12 hours a day, they might be, uh, they might be the smart ones. They might be smarter than me. When yeah, you walk, when you walk into the urgent care in the morning, is, does anyone, is anyone giving you a free boba? Is that, no. So the part of the issue of being, um, an owner of a practice is that there's no free anything. Everything that gets bought, I bought. Um, every single thing that gets bought, I bought. You're like Dwight in the back room, manually separating the two ply. Yeah, it's it's a whole different thing. So, for instance, you know, back when I was an employee, um, the idea of a snow day was gorgeous. I love snow day, and I would kind of get angry when someone would make me drive to work with snow on because I'm like, this seems like a great opportunity for me to not have to work. Um. But now that I have to pay for everything, I'm like, well, um, I could run by Home Depot and grab some salt and I'll salt the parking lot myself. We're, we're opening. <laughs> uh. You know, my, my, my mortgage company still wants payment, so I, I'm going to be there. I'll salt the parking lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it, the, the owner versus employee approach to things is just different. Yeah. Yeah. Free, free, free doesn't sound the same. <laughs> I read, you know, it's it's funny sometimes the the things that stick with you. I remember in my in my youth, back in the day, as uh, Jacko would say, being in a porta potty. I I, I want to say it was at a BMX race. I I raced BMX uh, all over the the East Coast for a while in my youth, but. Somebody had, had left a, a nice limerick on there. Now, I don't know how Bill Burr would rate this particular joke, um, but the the poetry that this artist left on the inside of this porta potty said, the boss makes a dollar while I make a dime. That's why I poop on company time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it just... Uh, it I've always, definitely heard that one. <laughs> it always stuck with me. It stuck with me. And so now as you're describing this, all I all I'm picturing is, uh, you know, you you handling your business at home before you go in and uh, maximizing that efficiency there at the office. Yeah, no, I, I don't. You know, if I if I eat, it's a 
I'll I'll chew down half a bar between between patients or something. Like I don't take an hour lunch break or anything like that. I just work straight through. Well, and we're uh, you know, and we can touch on this more in in a future episode. But I do want to plug, um, you know, because we we talked some I think last time you were on about you being a dual uh, board certified now, uh, adding yeah. obesity medicine to to that, and uh, you've kind of done the uh, official launch for uh, the obesity, uh, practice yeah. uh, here mm-hmm. on the side now and, and a little, uh, companion business along with that. How's that going? It, it's, um, it has been a huge growing, um, experience in terms of learning how stuff works, everything from the logistics of filing my own LLCs and then how Facebook ads work and, you know, how to, how to even build a stupid website and then link calendars to electronic health records. And yeah, it's been a lot more logistical work than I thought it was going to be. You, you would kind of think like, well, I know how to do medicine, so this will be easy. I'll just tell people I do it and then I'll have a business. And that's, that is not how the world, if the world worked like that, everyone would have one. Um, so, so that's, that's how, that's how that works. It's, it's been a lot of extra work, but yeah. Um, Ally wellness center, um, dot com is, is my new thing. And, uh, we are in the process of, you know, getting all of our, you know, ancillary providers built in. And I've got therapists and nutrition and physical trainers that can even do virtual stuff to where um, I can kind of provide all the extra support that someone needs uh, if they're, if they want to do it. The trick is, I think when you look at like the weight loss space, there's so many stupid, inaccurate advertisements saying, give us $30, we'll send you a pill. You won't have to change anything and you'll just be magically skinny. Um, and that's, that's kind of the dream being sold to people. And that is not a medically accurate statement. Um, and it's not how the world works. And there are now loopholes being used to close some of the kind of third party kind of bootleg compounding, uh, medicines that some folks have been passing off as the original. Um, but so there's, there's lots of drama in the weight loss space from a legislative standpoint, potentially coming. Have have you tried just uh, walking around like I don't know malls, parks, um, Planet Fitness, um, Five Guys, um, and and just uh, you know going like Town Crier mode, being like, "Hey, fatty, I can help you with that." Kale, <laughs> no, is that that's not so that's a no. Kale. That's a no on Kale. You're trying to get me in trouble. Uh, <laughs> no, that, is not, that has not been a. That has not been high on the list of our advertising priorities yet. Listen, there's a lot of people that wouldn't appreciate it, but but I do feel like that subset of the population that would respond to that. I feel like there'd be some stick to itiveness to that crowd. I feel like there there'd be some follow through. The 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 guy or gal that says, you know what. I am a fatty and I'm sick of it. Let's do this. I see. I feel like that's a quality customer. I feel like that's a, a quality uh, patient there. Well, I'm just spitballing ideas. I will, I will ideas. acknowledge I'm just that like in, you know, in my own self-talk, so to speak, you know, when I'm trying to get back in shape at the moments when I have gotten out of shape and I'm going for a run, um, I absolutely yell at myself and say, um, hey, fatty, it's you don't get to stop. Keep running, fat guy. Right? Like I use all those negative words and all that sort of stuff that we're not supposed to use when talking to other people. So 
Um, I probably would have responded well to a weight loss doctor walking up to me and being like, Hey, Hey dude, you're, you're looking pretty tubby there. Why don't you get at it? Right. Uh, I would respond to all that because that's the language I use to talk to myself. Um, it's not a great way to talk to other people generally. <laughs> so, and it, it is certainly language that we try not to use in the weight loss universe. Yeah. That uh, listeners, that was me, not Scott. It's just, it's just a joke. Just, yeah. Uh, just, you know, Lizzo, I'm sorry. I'm sure you're ticked at me. Oh, um, Kale. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, th- so people who cannot physically see me should know I have struggled with, you know, 40 to 60 pounds plus up and down weight over a good portion of my adult life. And, uh, you know, just trying to be frank and honest about how I actually talk to myself sometimes which is I look at myself when I, you know, pants are getting too tight. And I'm like, this is getting out of hand. I'm getting, chub- I'm getting fat now. I have to stop it. Um, those are not words that we like to use in actual patient care. Uh, but, you know, at home, well, when, you know, when I'm talking to myself, I, I absolutely have been guilty of using those words. So if someone wants to judge me for that, they'll have to judge me. Well, and that's, you know, I, I, there, there is obviously I'm, I'm joking around here and have a little fun at your, your expense and potentially your, your income uh, expense. But, um, you know, it, there is legitimacy to different strokes for different folks. And, and you, can't, Absolutely. you can't lead. You know, some folks need David Goggins. Yeah. Some folks yeah. need, hey, loser, get your crap together. You know, stop being a wimp. Some people need that. And then some people need, hey, man, it's been a hard day and I believe in you. And I think you can, I think you can make some change. What, what, what changes do you think you might be willing to evaluate? Like there are some people who need, you know, a slap and some people need a hug in order to get things done. Um, the trouble is it's, you can escalate to the tough love. It's hard to backtrack. (laughs) Once you've gone tough love on someone who it's not going to work for, it's hard to backtrack from tough love to the soft supportive side. Yeah. And well, it, it, that's, it's, where I'm going is it's it's kind of a a nice segue into kind of the the business you're you're kind of opening up tangentially with this that it's it kind of symbiotic um, with the the wellness center um, and with the obesity medicine is is the ally life coaching uh, yeah and that's where you're you're really kind of uh, working to build out a stable of life coaches where it is kind of different strokes for different folks and it's it's not. Uh, it's not therapy. It's not counseling. That's its own thing. And, and life coaching is different. And, and we can break that down a little bit um, if you want to, but it is one of those where you can kind of find the right person for you. Cause I think anybody that, that grew up in any kind of athletics um, you know, you, you experienced, you know, those different styles of coaching that you responded to more. Um, and I, I think life coaching really is analogous to those situations. And I, I think having the ability to find that right person and pair with that right person um you know, to, to kind of help you with the plan and help you with your execution and kind of walk you through, uh, maybe some of the trickier scenarios in, in life that, that maybe they, they've kind of been there and done that, uh, is a really cool thing that dovetails well with, uh, the obesity medicine. Yeah. And again, with coaching, you know, with the coaching thing, some folks need that super motivational supportive, Hey man, talk to me about your plan. Okay, cool. So, so, and, and what do you think you're going to work on that today? And like some folks like just like that happy, upbeat stuff. And some folks need, need to hear someone be a little tougher and they need, Hey, Oh, this is the job you want is this. Okay. Like just, just be frank with me. Why would anyone hire you for that? Right? Like some folks need the, the, the tougher love of, 
okay, well, you want to do that. Hey, you've, you've lost your last three jobs in the last 90 days. Do you really think it's all the employers? Um, let, let's, let's sit down and talk about maybe, maybe the, the consistent factor here is you and we should, to make you better, we need to talk about how you might be contributing to this and how it's not just you're bad at picking bosses, right? Um, you know, Kale, you know me when I was younger, I, I had a couple jobs, uh, and, uh, abruptly, um, some of those, some of those, uh, some of those employers were not the best people, but frankly, I could have navigated them a heck of a lot better than I did if I wanted to maintain longevity in my employment. Um, and some of their tough love made me better at things I do now. I didn't appreciate it at the time, uh, but it, it, uh, it was, it was certainly a thing that I needed to have to some degree. But the, the coaching thing was interesting to me because when I started looking through it, it wasn't the, the notion of just telling people what to do. It was the notion of trying to help them find some level of self-discovery. But finding that self-discovery often requires tough, tough questions, right? And a lot of us don't have someone in our life that we feel we can be transparent with enough to like talk through our junk with that will be blunt enough with us to give us the opportunity to ask the questions that are useful, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, because when you ask someone, a lot of adults, you ask, say, so who do you talk to about tough stuff in your life? They're like, what do you mean? No, like, no, really. When you have a problem, who do you talk to? What do you mean? Because a lot of people literally do not have someone they talk through tough crap with. The only, the closest they come is arguing with a spouse. And it's not the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And I think you and I, I mean, we've both always kind of been blessed in that area and, and having like a, a strong core group of, of friends yeah. um, that, that care enough to say mean things. Um, I, <laughs> I only quasi jokingly and, and I'm on the other side of this phobia now. So I, I you know, I feel safe talking about it. Um, I, I used to explain to, to people, my, um, my, my fear of, and uh, you might correct me if I'm wrong, you, like you might know the medical term for this syndrome, but I always refer to it as ugly kid oblivion. And uh, ugly kid oblivion is, is when you have offspring, you, you have a child, you have children, and God bless them, they, they just fell out of the ugly tree and hit every stick on the way down. And, and, and listen, we're all, we're mostly adults here. We all understand. Don't come at me with your all babies are beautiful thing. They're all precious. They all have value. God's got a plan for their life. But some of them are ugly. And the thing is, when your kid's ugly, you do not know. Um, you are biologically incapable of recognizing it. And almost no one will tell you. And so you'll just run around, like, whipping out pictures of this little garbage pail kid. Like, before people have even had their coffee or while they're trying to eat you got no idea what you're doing and nobody's going to tell you. And I, I, for a long time before we had children, Scott was my ugly kid oblivion safety person. I'm like, bro, listen, if my kid's not cute, you got to tell me. And you know, <laughs> no, I remember you were like, Hey man, for real. I know you don't think I'm serious right now, but when I have one, you have to tell me because no one else will. You're the only one I trust. To look me in the eye and tell me, Kale, your kid's ugly. Stop showing people. <laughs> and, you know, uh, luckily, both of us, we're, we're a couple of kids into this life uh, now. And, you know, we haven't had to cash in on this chip. Everything's worked out okay. 
Um, but I, I know, obviously, again, a little tongue in cheek here, but um, like when I talk to somebody about the pot, you know, I, I'm not, I, I do, um, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking at? I, I do arrogance for fun and effect sometimes, but in, in general, you know, I'm not a very, you know, haughty person, but you know, like in talking about the podcast, you know, um, I, I'll, I'll say things like, I know, regardless of how much money comes in, sponsor interest, what kind of guests I can book. I know I'm positive that this podcast is good. And you know how I know this podcast is good is Scott has never told me that this podcast sucks. Scott's never told me that this podcast is mediocre. And if it were those things, Scott would tell me. And I, I would, I, I would be friends. And Scott's not the only person like that in my life. And yeah. That's not because I've curated mean people in my life. And I do think a lot of people, uh, a lot of times people will um, try to disguise um, their, um, I'm, I'm just going to say it, and this might bother some people that I use this terminology, but some people will try to disguise their douchebaggery as, I mean, I'm, I'm just telling them the truth. Like you can be honest and not be a tool like that's possible. So I'm, I'm not saying like I've surrounded myself with mean people, but I've got a core group group of guys in my life um, that are invested enough in me uh, and care about me enough uh, to be honest with me when I come up short. Yeah. Every study group needs an op-ed. <laughs> every study group needs someone. If you say, Hey, the, the, what is this dress? Does this dress look good on me? He will go, no. Yes. And they still love you. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they told you because they, they love you. I think you just stumbled on the slogan for Ally Life Coaching. Every study yeah. group needs an op-ed. Every study group and needs an op-ed. And if somebody doesn't understand the reference, you don't need them as a client. Just yeah. Like, <laughs> God, God bless community. What a great show. No, it is, um, it is a difficult thing for some folks. And you can tell that some people have never had that in their life. Um. You know, so I, I knew someone who has since done quite well with their life. So um, I don't want to use their name, but um, they thought they were going to be a vocal performer for their for their entire life. And whatever high school or church they grew up in, everyone kept telling them that they were going to be a vocal performer. They were great. They loved it. And everyone just kept telling them they were the best thing since sliced bread. And they got to college and in their second semester of vocal performance major, their the professor that they were paying for their you know one of your things you have to do every semester is private vocal lessons the professor asked them you know what hey what's your major oh your major is this okay cool um and at the end of the semester the, the professor sat them down and said i'm going to say something that's going to make you hate me and i want you to understand that i'm doing this because i love you um i really think you should consider transitioning to either um you know composition or music education or, or um, you know, one of the other music degrees. I do not think vocal performance should be your major. And I think the reason is I think you objectively um, are struggling with the vocal qualities it would take to be a very successful music uh, vocalist as a career. And But you have the knowledge. You are technically proficient. I just think that you need to consider the fact that you just literally might not have the genetic gifts for this to be your most likely path for success. 
And she cursed him out and left the room crying <laughs> and, uh, you know, tried to have him fired and like yelled and whatever. Um, and then five or 10 years after got out, got out of school, um, when they were doing other things with their life, sent the person a message and told them that they loved them and they, they understood that it was probably a very hard thing for them to do, but they probably did have their best interest at heart. Um, and, and it's, it's hard because that shouldn't have been that a hard conversation for that guy. But, but that poor lady had spent 20 years with everyone telling her that whatever she did was the best thing ever. Yeah. And it, it, it warps your sense of reality. That's what was always so, uh, uh, off putting about, this is going to sound trivial, but about American Idol to me, uh, where, you know, they would always highlight these, these obviously great singers that they would find, but these horrible singers that, you know, these performers that were the punchline and, you know, to what extent some of these experiences were legitimate or staged or whatever, but it would, it would devastate some of these people. And if, if even one of them was genuine, it's like the sad reality that that person did not have anyone in their life who cared enough about them to mm-hmm. speak truth to them uh, about this, this goal or their level of talent before they got into this embarrassing situation. It's a really sad thing. Like I never enjoyed seeing that. Yeah. And I think to me, the hard part of watching that, it wasn't like someone said, Hey, I know that I'm not particularly that great. I know you may not like this, but frankly, I've always believed in throwing it against the wall and seeing what sticks and American Idol's in town. I would feel like a coward if I didn't just show up and at least try. So, you know what? I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it my 10 minutes. And if you're not interested, totally cool. I get it. No blood, no foul. I just feel like it'd it'd be a silly opportunity to, to, to pass up. I just wanted to try. That to me would make sense. But when they come in with like this really brash, I'm clearly the best. These, you know, to the point where they're literally yelling back at the at the judges that they don't know what they're talking about. And, you know, I, you're going to see me on, with a Grammy one day and you missed out. No, no, no. Now you're doing too much. Yeah. Um, because we could all empathize with, hey, I don't have a lot of confidence in this. I don't necessarily think I'm that great. But I do love singing, and a singing show is in my town, and anyone's allowed to show up, so I'm showing up. Like I think we would all we all we all kind of respect the the guts yeah. that takes. Yeah. Um, but the delusion gets a little out of hand. Yeah. So like like I'm a reasonably above above average singer. I'm not showing up to American Idol. Yeah. I'm I'm way too much of a coward for that, and I know my place on the totem pole of likely to get through American Idol. I, that's not my range. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a rough spot for some of those folks to be in. So and then the, the for the, for the, the goal of making some extra money, um, you know, they edit it together pretty good and they destroy those people. Yeah. Um, not good. So the, the real takeaway here is if you, if you need a, a litmus test for, uh, should you try out for a talent based show? Um, Ally Life Coaching is available for all of your uh, dream crushing and reality check needs. <laughs> <laughs> you you can hire Kale, um, and he will listen to you sing for thirty minutes at the end. He'll give you the go or no go, um, and uh, he he guarantees you know roughly seventy percent accuracy. <laughs> yeah, no, that that is uh, in in reality. Like when you were kicking this around, you reached out to me like, hey, is this something uh, you'd be be down to be involved in? And I'm like. Yeah, why not? I've been doling out my wisdom for free for decades now. 
Uh, yeah. you know, it's time to, to stop casting, uh, pearls before swine. But, uh, so yeah, in, uh, in short order here, I'll, I'm actually, uh, and I didn't bring this up to, to pitch this, but I'll, I'll be, uh, you know, part of the, the stable of, of coaches there, ally life coaching. And I, I think your uh, wife's in on that game, which is, yeah. uh, which is nice because like, if you, if the things, uh, that I've been saying or that Scott have been saying have been like horrifying and you're like, if, if somebody talked to me like that as a coach, more, more me than Scott here, I, I'd be mortified. Um, you know, we have people like his wife who, who are caring and compassionate and believe in feelings. Uh, and so you are <laughs> just genuinely better human beings. Yeah. yeah. And, and you can find that, you know, but if you're somebody, you know, uh, you've been inspired by the South Seven podcast to watch scrubs and you watch, you see Dr. Cox and you're like, yeah, I need that in my life. Or you watched house and you're like, man, I, I could use that kind of wisdom. Uh, yeah, I might be, I might be your guy. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, it's it's a cool thing that you're doing now. The 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 wellness center, the obesity medicine, just the, the way it, certifications and licensing and that stuff work. That's that's all um, kind of uh, geofenced to Arkansas. Yeah. It is currently geofenced to Arkansas. I am currently working through the logistics of being able to do telemedicine in Florida. Um, you can do telemedicine in Florida rather easily, which is, I think, great and appropriate. But Florida legislatively built this weird box out where you can't do obesity medicine via telemedicine. But then, they, despite making that a rule, they then immediately started handing out a bunch of waivers um, <laughs> because, of course, they did. Yeah. Um, and the trouble is they won't honestly answer you how to get the waivers. They make you hire a lawyer to go through the waiver. And so – I've got to actually hire a lawyer to get the waiver through because the state won't literally just won't tell you, um, Hey, can I have this waiver? Like they, they won't just tell you, you have to file with a lawyer and it's a whole thing. So, so if, if you're looking for, for help in the weight loss area, particularly if you, you know, you're, you're in and, uh, and around Arkansas, um, for sure, check out Ally Wellness Center. But Ally Life Coaching available to any and all everywhere. If you, if you've got internet, if you've got, uh, if you're in Antarctica and you've got your Starlink, you got a phone line or some internet. Yeah, <laughs> you've you've got your Starlink satellite set up. You have figured out how to connect AirPods to your phone. Um, yeah, Ally Life Coaching's out there and, and available. So it's well, and I have found for just a lot of random goals in life, everything from weight to education stuff to changing careers to whatever, just exposing the plan to somebody and knowing that so the next time you see someone, that person's going to ask you what you did. Hey, Hey, how's that been going? You mentioned that thing you were, how's that been going? What have you been doing about that? You mentioned you were going to send this one thing out. Did you do that? How's that been going? Like, and not even like in a beat you up way, but just knowing there's some accountability there, man, it changes everything. Yeah. Right. Um, like I admit, I've told you this, Kale, when my mom heard I was planning on trying to get into med school, way too early into the process to be telling anyone she told everyone because god bless her she has no filter and she couldn't shut up and she went and told everyone that i knew that i was going to go to med school which was incredibly presumptuous and out of line and insane and i was mad at her for quite a bit about that but frankly it made me work harder because well now now everyone i know will know i didn't make it if i don't make it right and so there's, there's a, I'm not a big fan of telling everyone all of your plans in life, 
Um, but man, it sure did create an, uh, uh, an urgency to me to not fail because I did not want to walk around and just be the guy who didn't, didn't do the thing I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think there's something to be said for having that level of accountability in the coaching universe is a, a nice avenue for that. So yeah. Well, yeah well, and a lot of times, even just a different perspective, you know, uh, Jocko even talks about it a lot in the, you know, in the laws of combat and in his leadership stuff. Um, you know, of just, um, you know, disconnecting that, like not being front sight focused, taking a step back, changing your elevation, changing your field of view so that you can see more so that you can evaluate what's going on and make a call. And a lot of times in life, it's, you know, that thing that is so tricky, that's got you hung up really might not even be that tricky at all. You're just too in it to, to see it. Uh, right. And so yeah. just that little bit of outside perspective uh, even can be uh, a lot. Yeah, and, I, and I think we've all had moments where we just got lost in the sauce a little bit. Um, and, you know, and we're worried about like, well, how do I, how do I, you know, you might think the problem is how do you get into this particular degree program? And really, if you take enough steps back, you don't even really want that degree. You just hate your, just hate your job. And you don't really hate your job. You hate your relationship with one person. And if you could just solve that, Maybe you don't have to change everything about your entire life because you're yes. just really running from a problem by creating 72 other steps. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think all of us have have had moments where we've done things the hard way. Um, yeah. And you well, know, the older you get, the less interested you, you become in doing things the hard way. Yeah. No matter when how you, funny the memes are, you should not, in fact, light the house on fire because you saw a spider in it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, admittedly, I've said a couple times, we'll just have to burn the house down. There's a spider here. Have to. No, so sometimes you just have to move all the boxes off the wall and kill the spider. Um, you know, it's annoying, but it is what it is. Oh. So yeah. it's, it's cool stuff, man. I, I'm excited about playing my, my itty-bitty uh, uh, little role, but uh, <laughs> fun, fun time. So always appreciate you coming on, brother. Always a good time. And uh Listeners, it, it, Scott's been on a number of times. Uh, go back and check those episodes so it's out. If you want to connect with some of the stuff he's doing right now, Ally Wellness Center, A-L-L-Y Wellness Center uh, on Instagram. If you're in the Arkansas area, Ally Life Coaching, um, you know, if you want to check some of that stuff out. And uh, I'll probably throw uh, a once I get around to uh, – once I <laughs> once I commit to my life coach to get off my butt and uh, – <laughs> 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 Uh, submit my uh, my pricing and some other stuff that Scott's been been waiting on. I'll, I'll throw that link to Ally Life Coaching. Uh, In fairness to you, if too. your children would quit being selfish and getting sick when you have other tasks to accomplish, yeah. maybe you would have more things done. Yeah, yeah, it, if, it's a little unfair of them. It's, yeah, it's it's rude, really. It's it's just <laughs> really rude, really so, rude. Uh, so if you're looking for a life coach with valuable parenting experience, uh, I'm your guy. Uh, but uh, no, that that stuff's coming up, and so um, uh, hit up uh, hit up our website. Keep an eye out there. Find find the the ally stuff on Instagram. I'll end up uh, adding ally life coaching uh, onto the podcast website, which is of course uh, solid seven podcast.com. That's solid the number seven uh, podcast.com. If you would just do us a, a big favor, uh, you don't even have to go to the website. Just whatever app you're you're listening to this on right now, if you haven't already. Hit subscribe, hit follow, give us a little rating, a review. Uh, we we read and cherish uh, all of those reviews, and that's always a, a big help to uh, the the podcast. But then, of course, there on the website, there's all our affiliate links. Get yourself uh, some awesome stuff, and it's a, a great way to support the podcast. 
uh, you know, uh, check out Go Rug, check out Jocko Fuel, Tuttle Twins, uh, that kind of stuff. And uh, there's links to the latest episodes on there. It's just a, it's just a fun, happy place. The Solid Seven Podcast website. And uh, with that, we're we're out. We'll see you next week. The Solid 7 Podcast is a proud affiliate of GORUCK. GORUCK designs and builds the toughest gear on the planet, tested and proven at thousands of GORUCK events held all over the world and led by current and former Special Forces combat veterans. The GORUCK brand stands for Building Better Americans, the Special Forces way of life, and a life-or-death approach to building the world's toughest gear. Visit Solid7Podcast.com and click on the GORUCK link to learn more about their gear and events And a portion of every purchase and every event registration you make will go to support us here at the Solid 7 Podcast.